And yes, it is creepy, but that's sort of uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of Sincast is brought to you by NatureBox. Get three free snacks with your first order. Just visit naturebox.com slash Sincast and use code SINS. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Huzzay! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello! Yeah! Hello! We've got, yes, we've got all the weird hellos today. <laughs> I said huzzay. Yeah. I don't even think that's a word. It's not. It really isn't. But it is now. It is now. Huzzay! That's right. It'll be in the Urban Dictionary. And then, then, <laughs> right alongside Wet Wedgie. That's right. Okay, so now Wet Wedgie actually has a legit entry now. Oh, really? Not just referencing the Sins video. Somebody went and wrote something like when you shit your pants and you have to keep wearing them for a really long time or what have you. It's disgusting. <laughs> they took it and made it as gross as possible. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. That's, the way, that's the way all those Urban Dictionary things are, man. They're pure filth on the Urban Dictionary. Um, but uh, as you're listening to this in a few days, we will be at Wizard World here in Nashville. Woohoo! Uh, we don't have to go anywhere for this. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> this is really, the, I am so excited about this because we've enjoyed the, the con stuff we've done before. We, we don't do a ton of it, uh, but it always comes with the travel and, you know, travel brings anxiety and delayed flights. And we got stuck in the Detroit airport or something mm -hmm. for like four hours watching a damn basketball game yes. after one of these things. Um, a terrible basketball game. A terrible too. basketball game. Like, on, like, on the worst points. TV like ever. Golden State versus the Clippers. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> a 40-point margin or something. Nice. Um, this one's in our own backyard. Yep. And so we decided to blow it out. And if you have not already pulled the trigger and have the means to do so, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our plans to hopefully push you over the edge. We're going to be at this con all three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's the 8th, 9th, and 10th of September. Um, Friday, we will have a live podcast recording. Yeah. Uh, recording this syncast in front of a, a live audience that hopefully is larger than 15 people. <laughs> uh, the larger, the better. I think it's going to get frisky with uh, you know a couple hundred people paying attention to what we're saying. And mm -hmm. we're going to have guests. Yep. Uh, guests from the con. Uh, but also, we're bringing Aaron Dicer in. He's mm. going to be with us for most of these events. Um, on Saturday, there are two panels, one at 1 o'clock. And one at two o'clock. They're both 45 minutes long. Uh, the one o'clock panel is going to be basically uh, a discussion about movie criticism. Um, we're going to have Dicer on there. He's a professional movie critic. We're hope hoping to have a guest uh, from the con on there to give us a perspective of a professional. Uh, and we're YouTube assholes, uh, <laughs> jokesters. Uh, and so that's our perspective of film, quote unquote, criticism. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that'll be fun. And then the two o'clock panel is going to be behind the sins. Yeah. You know, we like our puns and our editors are going to be there and our writers are going to be there and we'll be there. And we're just going to talk about the sin video process. Uh, so I think that'll be pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, Saturday night, there will be an exclusive dinner and a movie thing for about 50 or so of our fans that managed to get a hold of these golden tickets. Yep. Um, and we're going to have it catered and then we're going to watch a movie with the three of us, Barrett, Chris and I, mic'd up in case we say anything funny or vulgar. Just um, in case. And uh, this space we're doing it in is magnificent. It's a couple mm -hmm. blocks from the convention. Mm -hmm. It's on the third floor with a roll-up 
garage door opening out onto a balcony that looks right at downtown. It's gorgeous. Mm, We're going to have a great time. Um, And then all through the convention, we're going to have two booths on the main floor. Uh, Our CinemaSins booth where you can get shirts or I think my book will be there or photos. When we do signings and picture sessions, I'm I'm doing all the talking. Yeah, Um, That's where we'll be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then next to that is what we're calling our rant booth. And I really don't want to tell you any more about that Um, (laughs) because I think the the curiosity is enough. And then also periodically, uh, at least twice a day, uh, we're going to be hosting a, a trivia contest on the main ex- expo floor. This is one of the ways you'll be able to get that golden ticket to come to the exclusive dinner and a movie thing. Uh, more details to come as we get closer, uh, but that should whet your appetite. Yeah, right? baby. I'm going to be shirtless. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. At the very, at the very least, uh, when the people come to see the live podcast, they'll get to see us fuck some stuff up here and there yeah yeah because (laughs) we will fuck something up it's guaranteed we noticed fuck ups we noticed recently that most podcasts don't do much editing yeah uh and we do we take out you know everything from construction noises next door to as much coughing as we can and also when we say really inappropriate things that we ultimately (laughs) don't want to put out there permanently on the internet (laughs) which is saying something because you people have heard the inappropriate (laughs) there's things that are worse than that that Mm -hmm. we take out yep and uh you know something like that might happen you never know uh so please if you're in the area uh, whether you can only come one day or three days, or if you're out of the area and want to travel, um, we would love to meet you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be all over this thing. You'll have plenty of chances to meet us, get a picture, get an autograph, whatever, what have you. Uh, say that this scene does not contain a lap dance. Whatever's going to float your boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're really looking forward to it, and uh, it's coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait. So uh, today's topic, we're going to get into the movie club. You can find me in the club. You should join our club. You and your friend. Now, if you're not going to take this seriously, perhaps we should disband the club now. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a part of things. Movie club. And we're going to be talking about musicals. Mm-hmm. We should sing this entire episode. Oh, yes. my favorite musical we, is. No, this will be kidding. our. This will be our like. Uh, you know the stats that show where people are dropping off and everything. That'll be like <laughs> the, the the world record for all of it. You know, like I I got through I got through the Nature Box ad. I uh, you know, but I could not take the singing. Yeah. <laughs> Um. All right. So we're gonna keep on. We're gonna do the the you know the same old format here. Best favorite, underseen, underrated. Who wants to kick us off? Well, this thing came from. Uh, I was looking at my collection of DVDs, and for whatever reason, the most prominent that my eye always goes to is Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And I was thinking we haven't. We've talked about music and film a lot, but we haven't talked about like musical films. And by that, I, d- I don't mean necessarily that somebody breaks into song, mm-hmm. even though there are going to be a lot of those, but. Uh, movies that revolve around music, and I would say Eight Mile is is definitely one of those. Definitely, sure. I mean the, the the definition of a musical. I think I think what most people think of when they think musical is that spontaneous breaking into song. But there are many movies where music is a prominent feature of it, and I believe those count as well. Absolutely, even though they're not going to be that spontaneous breakout in a song type of thing. Well, something so. like Almost Famous or That Thing You Do, mm-hmm. where it's not a traditional breakout into song, mm-hmm. but there's like six or seven performance scenes of different songs. I would consider those musicals. Yeah, man, I love That Thing You Do. Me too. I just saw man. that again recently. God, the scene so in the middle when they're doing come on pretty baby and dance with me yeah. and tom hanks like pumps his fist yeah. right in yeah. the musical break gets me chills every single time yeah anyway. that's a great movie i, I remember uh, this is an aside we're of course already getting derailed 
Uh, I just remember because Tom, that was his first Tom Hanks directorial debut. Yep. And uh, and he said that uh, he's like, ah, man, there's so, so many weird things that I never thought I would have to do as director and everything. It's like we're just sh- it's like there's a there was a whole day where we were just shooting cars, we're just <laughs> shooting cars. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, OK, so we've got uh, a few that I would say are probably right off the bat. You would you would consider the best like Sound of Music mm-hmm. is one of them and uh, West Side Story. Yep. is another is another big one and those are i mean the especially west side story those are such uh well-known musicals they don't even, i mean they're not i mean movie and on stage yeah that it's <laughs> that they're they transcend same any with, kind of medium yeah same with guys and dolls basically yeah where yeah like you're just so used to either seeing it when you were a kid growing up like going with a school group or something like that it's guys and dolls not guys and guys <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's correct <laughs> A lavish Broadway musical? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love Guys and Dolls. I love West Side Story. I watched I watched West Side Story with my wife about five years ago because she'd never seen it. That movie is long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it is. forget how long that movie mm-hmm. is because God bless her, she got bored. Even though she liked what she was seeing, it just kind of run on and yeah. on there at the end. Um, but yeah, I love all the music from that film. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even make an argument. I don't think this is in any of our lists. You could make an argument that in the last... 20 years, regardless of whether it reaches classic status or not, but La La Land mm-hmm. has to be up there in the best musical discussion. I would think so. I mean, it's still very recent. Mm-hmm. And we're still, you and I were just talking out in L.A. about whether or not we've got it in the right place. Right. Uh, and it's going to take time to really know, but the music is fantastic. It is. And like the guy who wrote all those songs is going places. Man. Yeah. Like, yeah, definitely. He's He's the next Cappuccino, maybe. Cappuccino. Cappuccino. He's the next Cappuccino. All right. So who's who wants to start us off on best? I've got a kind of controversial best, maybe, uh, because uh, it also is recent. Mm-hmm. But I actually just recently said, I think on Twitter or something like that, that I would put Moana mm. uh, and that soundtrack up there with the best Still Disney soundtrack. Still haven't seen this, by the way. Uh, Moana, Moana is only great because of the music. Absolutely. I think... There's charm there, but without the songs, it falls apart. And again, we've got this is Lin Manuel, whatever the mm, guy, Miranda, from, mm. yeah, guy who wrote all the Hamilton songs, and yeah, that that song where she learns the history of her people, yeah, and they're like, we know the way. Oh yeah, god, yeah. the whole the uh, whole soundtrack is amazing. It it's, really is, and that "How Far I'll Go" song mm-hmm. will will kill me every time. Now I'm a I'm one of those people that likes. I really like Frozen, and I, I really like Let It Go. I could listen to that that stuff all the time, the Adina Menzel version, not mm-hmm. the uh, the pop version, but mm-hmm. like not the um, Pearl Jam version. No, the Pearl. Oh, that's right, they did it. Um, but uh, I I think this is up there. I, the rock song with the "You're Welcome," yep. that kind of thing. The whole thing, start to finish. I love the animation. I love Hey Hey the Chicken. Yeah. Um, I think this is up there with one of my favorite musicals of all time. Mm, interesting. And so I, I shouldn't say favorite. I think it's going to be uh, one of the best of all time. I, th- I think it's going to be up there with Beauty and the Beast. I think it's going to be up there uh, with any of the Aladdin. I guess is one. Um, well, the top Disney ones. The Lion King, I think, has maybe the top spot for most people in terms of modern Disney animation movies. 
songs. Mm-hmm. And that's because they went and got Elton John mm-hmm. to make the songs, and Elton John's a god. Uh, and here they went and got the guy from Hamilton yep. to make the song. And so I think I think it will be very similarly esteemed uh, 10, 20 years from now, just for the music alone. It's interesting. I mean, it really is kind of interesting you bring this movie up. I did not hear this much raving about Moana before. And, and, yeah. And you, it may be controversial in that way. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Mm. Uh, I, all I know is that, uh, you know, I don't know. I just I just know that we did a Sims video for it, yeah. and I was not a writer on it. <laughs> so, um, so like that's all I know about it. And well, I just yeah. I just assumed that it was a it was a basic solid Disney cartoon. Yeah, and it is. Part of it, it was I had low expectations. Threw it on there, and I was just going to kind of like go through it and enjoy it. But mm. uh, I really really liked it, and my family could not stop singing those songs. My wife was walking around with it on her, her phone while she was cleaning the house and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, my son's hum- humming it up in his room. Like we were infected by that movie. Yeah, and again, I, I think it's the music. The music outperforms the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. um, but it makes the movie great. I enjoy it. Yep, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I gotta go singing in the rain at least. Yeah, uh, nice. I mean, that's. N- I think that's number one in pretty much everybody's. Like, yeah. If you if you got a critical, you know, congregation, that's what they'd come up. I with. think so, and I think if you love musicals. Like the ones where they break out in song, this is probably in your top five or ten, I would guess. Mm-hmm. It just does so many things so well. Sets the mold, really, for the next several years. And we're going to have Comic Relief Guy, who does physical comedy. We're going to have Velvet Voice Lead Guy, and we're going to have a girl in the middle. Um, and then White Christmas, just because I talk about it so much, um, mm-hmm. and I've seen it probably a hundred times. Mm-hmm. My entire extended family watches this every Christmas, and my nephews and nieces have started quoting it now, nice. um, quoting it before the lines are coming on the movie. Um, it's just a big, warm, happy place for me. And uh, again, great singable songs. Um, but for a modern best, I'm, I wanted to throw out South Park, um, yeah. which is kind of on the cusp because they do break out into song on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's full-fledged a musical. musical. That's a musical. Um and we've talked about that movie ad nauseum and that Satan song. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and, and again, here they went and got the classic Broadway music guy. And one of the things that this musical does so well is ape other musicals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because you've got that that Satan song is kind of playing on the Little Mermaid song. Mm-hmm. The Revolution song is a little bit Les Mis. Mm-hmm. But it also does something that West Side Story did really well, which is by the end of the movie, these songs are playing together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you get multiple counter melodies from these. You didn't realize you were listening to a jigsaw puzzle each song as it came. But by the end, when they're all meddling together, uh, it takes a, a genius to do that, I think. Yeah. And that's that. Mark Shaman was the okay, guy yeah, that, that right. helped out with the music. But when they do the La Resistance uh, mm-hmm. march, that's when you get the blame Canada's yeah. and then the judge yeah. a fucking face. I'm yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking gorgeous. They're in chains and everything. Mm, yeah. yeah it's, it's really, really great. I love yeah. it. Yeah, that that's one of those like uh like chill moments when they get I mean it's a funny goofy song but like they have that all that stuff going together the blame Canada yep. and tomorrow night and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff all get, going together and everything. God, I love South Park. God. But it's uh, West Side Story does that too because mm-hmm. they've got like the gang song at the end but then it's like tonight tonight playing over. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you have to plan ahead to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Like the indeed. way Christopher Nolan makes movies. You mm-hmm. can't just accidentally yourself into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to be very careful writing each of those songs. Anyway, I have yeah. much respect. Uh, so we uh, 
at the beginning of this, we talked about how Eight Mile and stuff like that could be considered a musical because mm-hmm. all of it is revolving around music and everything. Uh, one movie uh, that uh, I don't think uh, ever is called a musical, but it's so many songs and so many type, so many breaks in the movie to to have a song is Nashville. Oh yeah, oh good call. Um, I uh, I do debate uh, on this a lot of times. How good are these songs that are in Nashville? I, I there there are a few that are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the "I'm Easy" song by uh, Keith Carradine is really good. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say that that's my least... I agree that it's it's probably the best one. That's mm. my least favorite one, uh, just because of the context of the movie. Okay. Um, he's creepy. Yeah. Like, he's got this love triangle, rectangle, it whatever is, it is at this point. But all three of the women who mm-hmm. are in that crowd think it's about them and them alone. I and know. yes, it is creepy, but that's sort of uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of other songs and Henry Gibson has one and like it's I love like, when they they break in they just show a snippet in the studio of Lily Tomlin singing with that gospel choir yeah she, they're going nuts and she's going nuts she's feeling the spirit and everything mm-hmm. oh my god yeah so good absolutely um it's it's you know this Nashville's such an odd movie yeah it's it, it's it's just sort of this you know it's a Robert Altman movie where mm-hmm. it's just like a million people in it. And it's just going around from story to story and just kind of like, I'm going to pay attention to this for a while. Now I'm going to pay attention to this for a little while. Nothing's really like a cohesive story. Mm. There's like one little thread that's getting pulled through it the entire time. Uh, but uh, all all these there's always these breaks where people are singing and all that. And it's uh, it's uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I have a I have a weird, conflicted uh, relationship with country music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't generally like country music, even though I'm from this area and right. everything. Uh, I do love old country. Um, and this is back in the day where it was still like older country and mm. everything. So like a lot of the stuff in here is is at least uh, uh, enjoyable to a point. You know, I mean, it's not all all great, but it's. Yeah, the uh, the Henry Gibson character is basically playing like uh, Porter Wagner or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, little, yeah. little Jimmy Dickens, like right. old if you ever like envision or you've seen like the Grand Ole Opry, it's it's these garish suits with that are reflecting stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The big sequined cowboy hats and everything. It's it's the snippet of time, particularly of this city that that movie represents. I think is is very familiar to me because I grew up right around that area. Mm-hmm. Era uh, that was seventy five, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was a little bit after that, and uh, it's very very cool. I. I totally agree. That's a great recommend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, while it's not breaking spontaneously in the song and everything, it is, it is one where there's songs all the way through it. Yeah. I believe the I'm easy song either won or got nominated for an Oscar. I believe I so. One. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, and I, I, I dig, I, I dig this soundtrack overall. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So we're going to move to favorite. Yeah. Go I have favorite. a similar, uh, pick. It's not a traditional musical. Another maybe controversial thing. So it's Purple Rain. Okay. <laughs> so I actually made I a will joke. never understand your love for this movie. I'll explain it. I'll try to explain it. Um, I got into Prince in a big way about 10, 12 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I always liked his stuff. Uh, but for whatever reason, I went back and I watched Purple Rain. I was floored. I was not floored at all by the acting, mm-hmm. by anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I was compelled by the story. The story in this movie 
as told mostly through song, mm-hmm. uh, culminates in this gorgeous climax of Purple Rain, the, the song Purple Rain. And you got to be on board with it. You got to sit through some shitty scenes. You got to see Apollonia naked for a bit. Well, yeah, that's um, not. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> she's gonna, Damn it! I hate <laughs> naked people. She's got to purify herself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. That's Minnetonka. right. Um, but there are some great moments in this. So the the soundtrack is absolutely killer. Everybody knows the "Let's Go Crazy" mm-hmm. and "When Doves Cry" and of course "Purple Rain." When Doves Cry might be the best part of the movie, though. That's the one that has the most emotional and like dramatic resonance, I think, during the whole thing because it's talking about abuse and all this other type of stuff going on. Yeah, um, Prince plays a, a character called the Kid, mm-hmm. and the Kid has a rivalry with Morris Day in the time. They're kind of two Minneapolis bands that are. Uh, kind of uh, uh, frenemies almost, but they they pretty much hate each other. And yes, Prince is in an abusive, uh, his parents are in an abusive relationship, but his dad is a musical genius. Mm -hmm. I think uh, some of this is based in reality. Um, And his dad actually uh, attempts suicide in Mm -hmm. this movie. And he lives through it and everything. Then his, his parents kind of reconcile after that, which is weird enough. But there's a moment in here, regardless of the acting, there's a moment in here where after that happens, um, the time have gone on ahead of the revolution of Prince and the revolution. Mm. And they did their set and everything. And they're these cackling bunch of like, you know, preening rock stars and that kind of thing. And they go by uh, the kid's dressing room and Morris day looks at him and he knows that his band wants him to say something and like to be an asshole. And so he looks over, he's like, how's your daddy? And they all crack up and everything. Ah! Mm-hmm. And the revolution goes out and they play purple rain. But there's a moment right after that where they go uh, past the dressing room and Morris day, like, separates himself from the group and like kind of leans his head up against the wall like god why did i say that i only said that because of this peer pressure and everything it's little moments like that that kind of sell this as a movie even though it's the performances that you want to you stick around for yeah i mean it way in a way more pronounced way than moana the music is better than the movie oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but i can get down some with some early prints man oh man it's so good that purple rain where we're literally it, it's almost a one shot of him on stage. Uh, there's a couple of uh, shots out in the audience, hilariously 80s audience, by the way, um, but uh, where he's just like he's processing this whole thing. And God damn, that that solo, that guitar solo is one of my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. In Purple yeah, Room. it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like obscure guitar solos. Mm-hmm. Um, the, do you know the band Fastball? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a song on. I think it was their second or third album called Love is Expensive and Free. Have you ever heard it? No. And that's one of my favorite guitar solos ever. And it's kind really? of a slow song, but it's just got great tone. And I, I gravitate toward the guitar solos that have great melody mm-hmm. um, as opposed to somebody who can just shred 50 notes in two seconds. Yeah. Um, something that's melodic that I can sing along to. Something that one's like great. Matthew Sweet has a lot of those. Yeah. My wife actually gets annoyed because I sing guitar solos. <laughs> Like you can, if you go back and look at some of my older videos I did where I was driving around town, th- uh, there's one where I sing almost the whole solo from Fish's um, uh, "Heavy Things." Oh yeah, <laughs> which is like a two and a half That's minute a long, long solo, solo, but I know every goddamn note. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that got us off track. Uh, for favorite, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go with the classic Danny Kay Court Jester. Oh mm. yeah. Now, probably because of my mother, most of my musical tastes in terms of musical movies run really old <laughs> yeah and so i was introduced to danny k through white christmas uh, and then we started exploring other i've actually got another danny k movie f- later in this discussion uh but the court jesters 
hilarious. It's short. He's really funny. Does a lot of physical comedy. But there's this one song he sings uh, in the main hall of the king uh, that is just lightning fast. And it's lightning fast with difficult words so he's like when i was aladdin was pretty inside when other lads giggled and gurgled and wiggled i probably was loudly forlorn but it's like a tongue twister and he does the whole goddamn thing um i love the court jester it's just got it's just got too much fun the basic premise is yeah they're well he's not really the court jester but he's pretending to be um a fool pretending to be a fool right um uh, and it's just it's really really comical young angela lansbury oh mm-hmm. yeah um but that would probably be on my favorite list i put white christmas but i already listed that for best young angela lansbury is a mirage like <laughs> she, like she in, out of the womb in, in the in the in the manchurian <laughs> candidate she's already like 50 it's i like think maggie smith <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. always been 80 right and, and you and you all you always check out like every time angela lansbury comes up you're like i gotta go check and see like how old is she she's like uh she's born in the 20s i believe wow and uh and she's still ticking man yeah man yeah yeah she didn't like the new beauty and the beast Oh, she didn't. No, there was a, it was some cranky ass quote. It was great. I think her, I think she said, "What's the point?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's also in a movie version of Pirates of Penzance because yeah. I remember seeing that too. Anyway, yeah, Corchester's good shit. If you haven't yeah. seen it, I think this is the second time you brought this movie up. I'm gonna uh-huh. have to watch it. Yeah, watch it's. This. I mean, it's goofy as shit, mm-hmm. but sure is fun. Love that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with Moulin Rouge. I know that Barrett hates Moulin Rouge, but that's my one of my favorites. No, that's um, a good call. I um, I think Baz Luhrmann is. It's hard to like assess him as a filmmaker because yep. everything is so over the top, and that's what Moulin Rouge is. Mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge is so over the top in everything it does. The songs, the 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 set design, the the colors, all the you know, uh, John Leguizamo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's. But I love the songs in here, and I know that one of the criticisms of this movie is like, oh, you and McGregor, Nicole Kidman, they can't sing worth a lick, blah, blah, blah. I, how come I love these songs then? I disagree with that part. That, they, that, man, I heard nothing but people who, when they hated Moulin Rouge, they thought you and McGregor and Nicole Kidman couldn't sing. I thought he silly. handled himself better than she he did. He absolutely did. That was one of the highlights for me, actually, is because not only his singing ability, I think he's got a fine singing ability, but his... His innocence and his optimism and his like wide-eyedness mm-hmm. is is the main selling point for this movie for me. Yeah, um, Nicole Kidman, yeah, she was passable and everything, but Ewan McGregor, man, he goes for it. Yeah. That whole your song thing. It's the same thing as La La Land. People mm-hmm. were saying, oh, they have average voices. I'm like, well, they have good voices. Mm-hmm. They're better than average. But the problem is if you go out and get christina aguilera to be in this movie <laughs> then the acting and the story is going to suffer for it sorry christina i don't think you're much of an actress um <laughs> you're yeah. gonna get cabaret wasn't it yeah. Gotta, yeah. what was the what was She's the in cabaret with the uh, share right wasn't that the uh what there's some the remake of cabaret was it cabaret or was it it was uh it was called something else i was called what are the what are the uh, burlesque burlesque yeah, yeah that's right burlesque um <laughs> we all see how that turned out yeah um i love moulin rouge and i love it for all even even with all the over the topness of it and everything uh, i feel like it it fits that mold really well um and i just i just i don't know Mo- a lot of times yes it takes me a lot to get into those like hyper kinetic yeah. and like 
overactive type of movies. Romeo and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann did mm-hmm. earlier, is like that mm-hmm. in a, a lot of ways. There's so much stuff that's just like, he's like, quickly, let's show this and let's show this person overacting and all that. And it's like, you know, it's okay, we get it. Moulin Rouge, I think it's perfectly done. Um, and yes, there are things in that even where you're just sitting like, okay, you're just being really goofy here. But I'm always down for it. Well, it is the one movie, I think, where his kinetic energy works the best. Mm-hmm. Of all the movies he's made, that's the one where it feels the most natural and at home. Um, and at first, I was not a big fan of the idea of taking modern songs and making medleys of them mm-hmm. and setting it in this past place. But it it, it grew on me pretty quick. And yeah. I think I've said this before. The first hour of Moulin Rouge, I love. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it really starts to lose me after well, that. Well, that whole Satine has a disease thing <laughs> is, is, is one of the things that just it does... It does, like, take away from all the joy that's in that. And they don't even need that. The whole thing, the whole conflict is that... You know the the rich duke is is trying to steal. I mean, he's trying. He's bought Satine for himself. Yeah, but Satine has fallen in love with Christian, and you know that's a real thing. And that that's what to me is the conflict of the movie. But instead, they're like, well, none of you can have her, yeah. have her because she's she's got the she's, she's got. Guess what? Artax is dead, motherfucker. That's, that's right. Satine is dead, motherfucker. But I love at the end, like you know, uh, you know, like. Uh, they're they're doing that sort of the the play and the reality are both playing out yeah of course everybody in the audience just thinks it's the play and but like at the point where christian's about to walk out of that auditorium and then start singing come what may and everything and it turns into that huge spectacle by Mm -hmm. the end of it uh i love that to pieces man i love it so much yeah I see. I'm the exact opposite with you guys. I loved. I like the second half much better than I like the first half because I think the first half is too kinetic for me. I yeah. think it's it's too uh, ADD. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second half, I think it starts right around when they do that um, that Roxanne tango, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, which is my favorite part yeah, of the it's movie. Really yeah. good. Uh, it's where like it, now now things are starting to get actual stakes in there, mm-hmm. and uh, and just the way that it's delivered and everything, the dance itself. I like that Roxanne better than I like the police Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I know, I know. No, I, and I, I love. I, you got a big police fan I, over here. I love the police. Don't get me wrong, but that's that song. The way it's done, so dramatically yeah. and everything. You don't also love the Puff Daddy sample <laughs> of "Every Breath You Take" better than "Every Breath You Fuck Take." No. you. <laughs> I'll be watching you. <laughs> the creepiest pedo song ever. Are you kidding me? I love Puff Daddy in every form, especially that Godzilla song at the end. Man. Come with hear me. Hear my cries, hear my calls. <laughs> I watched that music video the other day. Oh my god! I watched it, man. It's uh, it's uh, it's terrible. That, well, and the, and see now that's some that's where you get the true sacrilege. I feel like because that's cashmere. <laughs> yeah. And then Puff Daddy's like, hear my cries, hear my calls. I'm like, fuck you. The worst part. Cashmere's so awesome. Oh, the worst part is Jimmy Page played on it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, don't well, give me well, you know, They probably approval. they probably dumped a, you know, put a dump truck out in his <laughs> front yard and said, and, boop, 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 and here's the money. He's like, all right, okay. What was that joke we made about Brian? Was it Brian Cox being in a movie that they packed a dump truck up full of money and lube? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, Assassin's Creed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. How, how I much, think it was Brendan Gleeson. Much do, oh, yeah, it was Brendan How Gleeson. much does it really take to get these guys who are in like 500 movies, though? I, I really do wonder what their salary is a lot of times. Like Samuel Jackson, obviously, is in five movies a year, like clockwork, every year. How much does it cost to get Samuel L. Jackson? I think there are people. I wouldn't be surprised if he's cheaper than you'd think, just yeah, because he likes, he likes doing it. that work. Yeah. He likes the variety of it. He probably gets paid enough from those goddamn Capital One commercials. Yeah. And I just read the other day, Brian Cox is in this Super Troopers sequel, mm-hmm. yeah. but they they didn't hit the funding goal to hire him. He just took a huge pay cut because he had so much fun working. Oh, on the really? First That's one. awesome. Yeah. I bet there are plenty of people like that in Hollywood. Um, because, yeah, you would think Samuel L. Jackson would cost Robert Downey Jr. money at this point in time. And he clearly doesn't. I mean, if it's a let's say, I mean, is it, I mean, if it's a million per picture, I mean, mm-hmm. think about how much just that. I mean, that's he's just like, I just want a million every single time. I mean, that. I mean, he does five movies a year. It doesn't matter if it's the Avengers million. or Snakes on a right. Plane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you see that Super Troopers 2 trailer yet? Uh-uh. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It made uh, me laugh. It's funny in a different way. Like they're still picking on uh, the big dude. I forget what his his yeah, name yeah, is. I forget his name too. But like uh, they switch out his pants for like these high waisted pleated pants, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Come on, guys, I can't feel my tits." Oh <laughs> 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 uh, man! All right, let's go on to underseen. Okay, sounds good. All right, I've got a probably. At this point, it's definitely underseen. It's 1979. It's called All That Jazz. Okay. I haven't oh, seen this. Wow. I haven't seen it either. Man, this, I know the song. This will kind of crush you. So this is about, I'll try to make it brief. It, it's directed by Bob Fosse. Yeah. But it's about Bob Who Fosse. Who made a whole huge career of this in the 70s, these right. musical movies. Yeah. Well, he was directing uh, Lenny, mm-hmm. uh, the the Lenny Bruce uh, yeah, biopic. Yeah, yeah. And he was staging a production of Chicago, like on stage. Mm-hmm. And... If you can imagine what that was like, it you know you run ragged basically. Oh, I mean that that guy had to have been stretched so thin during that time. So this is his character essentially. Roy Scheider plays his character, and he's doing all this stuff, and he's living on dexedrine cigarettes and like booze and sex basically. Mm-hmm. So me, ton of sex. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's just going and going and going. He ends up having a heart attack. Then he progressively gets worse and worse because he's having these like orgies in his ho- in his hospital room and everything. Orgies still- in his hospital room, yeah, man. And mm-hmm. uh, so it starts going from uh, reality to more like almost hypnagogic or like uh, hallucinatory uh, uh, visualizations. Jessica Lange plays uh, the uh, the angel of death, basically. Nineteen mm, 1970s Jessica Lange. Oh yeah, mm. I'm gonna get back to her later on. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just this really interesting progression. I watched it one day uh, when a long time ago when I think I was sick and feverish. It's a good fever movie mm-hmm. uh, because it just gets progressively loopier. But it's super sad because he's approaching death the entirety of the way he knows he is. And he's staging it in his head as a production. Like, you know, this is my final goodbye, that mm. kind of thing. And because Fosse is directing this, um, he has a unique perspective on it. And talk about 70s era Roy Scheider, man, t- mm-hmm. top of his game. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is just, he gets a lot of like the Broadway dancers and singers in there. They do all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of like standards. It is really, really good. It's a lot more emotional than you think, but there's plenty visually to look at too. 
Um, and then the songs are just stellar. So hmm. that's a big recommendation. I think I have seen a scene from this movie. I remember Russell, when we were back at our Hollywood 27 days, showed me, I think, the beginning of this. Didn't the beginning mm-hmm. have like a, a it's in, in a famous opening? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, I'll tell you the song real quick. It's, um, is it do do do? It's on Broadway. On Broadway? Yeah. Dun, 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 yeah, yeah, dun, yeah. Dun. Um, it has a famous beginning, but, um, but yeah, and it's one I need to see, man. I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately very low on my Bob Fosse watching. I've seen Lenny, Mm -hmm. but I haven't seen Cabaret or, or all, all that jazz, but, um, yeah, I'm going to have to watch that. It's good stuff. I'm not a jazz fan. I know the movie's not about jazz. I just wanted to point that out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I watch La La Land and I'm just like, I could never relate to Ryan Gosling's character. I love his reaction when she says, well, I kind of hate jazz. And he's just got this, like, I don't know whether I want to smack you yeah. or, like, yell at you or run away screaming. <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> All right. So for underseen, I'm going to throw out two. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Danny K. Well with the Inspector General. Oh. Mm. Now, this is black and white. This is how far back I'm going for this. And basically, Danny K. and his partner are snake oil salesmen. And again, another case of mistaken identity. They end up in this town and everybody thinks he's the inspector general. Is this movie mm. old enough where they're actually selling snake oil or, <laughs> or is it? I don't think it's snake oil, but it's just one of those tonics they used to sell back oh, in those okay. days or whatever that, that doesn't actually do what it promises. Because right. Danny Kay, I think in the opening, Danny Kay has got makeup on and old man makeup and he pretends to drink the tonic and get cured or what have <laughs> you. And his partner sells it to everybody there. Anyway, one the reason I want to bring this up is there's a song toward the end, a big musical number, and I'd never seen anybody do anything like this before. But Danny Kay, in character, separates the crowd into three groups and says, you guys say... Zoom. And the second group, you say, stock, stock. And the third group, you say, ha, ha, ha. And he gets them to practice. And then he starts a song and points at the groups at various times. And it's like, zoom, stock, stock, ha, ha, ha. Zoom, stock, stock, ha, ha, ha. And he awesome. weaves a song over it. And it's freaking hilarious. I love that movie. And then another underscene that I'll throw out that I just saw last week is a movie called Rudderless. Mm. It's got Billy Crudup in it. And Anton Yelchin, hmm. um, which is the reason I watched it. Uh-huh. Um, Never heard of this. Because he's, well, I hadn't either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I'm, you know, if I see a performance from Anton Yelchin that I haven't, if I see a movie I haven't seen of his, I want to eat it up because he's not with us anymore and he was really great. Um, so the premise here is that Billy Crudup's son died like a year ago, something like that. It was tragic. He and his wife have split because of it. He's living on this boat. Um and he goes uh, through his son's stuff and finds this album of songs that he'd never heard. He didn't know his son had written and recorded, and they're good. Hmm. Um, so he eventually gets up the courage to go into this open mic place where William H. Macy is the bartender. I swear to God, the whole movie, all he does <laughs> is like in, in the background bartending. <laughs> um, and gets up and plays this song, and Anton Yelchin's in the crowd and follows him out after. And he was like, that was really good. Um, and basically, he just starts pestering Billy Crudup, uh, shows up at his boat with a guitar, uh, playing the song Billy Crudup had played in the bar. And Billy Crudup doesn't want anything to do with it at first, but they kind of accidentally duet there on the boat. Hmm. And Yelchin's like, that was awesome. Did you not see how awesome that was? We have to play together. And so the next time they play together and then the next time they play, they have a bass player. And the next time they play, they have a drummer. And next thing you know, they're the most popular band in town huh. and they're they're calling themselves rudderless. Hmm. And then the, the dead son's girlfriend shows up 
to shame the father for playing the song. You didn't write those songs. And it's Selena Gomez. What? And I was like, what the hell? Anyway, it's not a great movie, uh, but it, it captured my attention. I love music. I'm I'm an a amateur songwriter. I can kind of get into looking at music from that side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you guys said, you'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of it. Um, crazy to me that movies like this get made and we never hear of them. I love music. I'm on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, Billy Crudup to tie in there. Um, on my underscene, I'm going to go with Sweeney Todd. Ah. This is a movie that I believe might be the last good Tim Burton movie and might be the last good Johnny Depp movie. This was after Big Fish, right? Yes. Yeah. This came out in 2007. I believe it made about $50 million, which is... Oh, really? Uh, eh. I mean, 2007, you're talking about a decent hit, maybe. I don't think I hear people talk about this movie that much. No. And, of course, Sweeney Todd uh, was already a, a successful Broadway musical and everything. So I think most people, when you say Sweeney Todd, are going to think of that still. Mm-hmm. But I believe this is a really good movie. And I think this is just, uh, I don't know, It's I love the songs in it um it's it's you know creepy horror type of stuff you don't see that much in musicals you know um i uh i just uh i, I think it's uh you know of course it's off it's a, just an off-putting topic yeah. you know they're, meat they're, pies they're meat pies we're putting <laughs> humans in that shit i've uh, never seen this and um, it's pretty gross well that's why i stayed away but it's not gross to the point of you see like real nasty things in it or anything no it's it's car cartoonish yeah. it's in between cartoonish but he's and, a, like a murderer right yes. yeah yeah and he it's basically a revenge type movie now that's an interesting one because that's another voice because johnny depp does his own voice helena bonham carter does hers mm-hmm. um he's got a good enough voice to to pull these things off it's yeah. not like a super huge range that he has to cover but i think it, it was very believable mm-hmm. yeah um but the songs are really good in it uh the, my first my first actual introduction into the existence of Sweeney Todd was in Jersey Girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was a really funny scene because Ben Affleck takes his kid to see Sweeney Todd and like there's like this violence and there's this, the look of Ben Affleck like kind of enjoying this and then seeing the big violence and his, his jaw dropping is one of the funniest things in that movie. Uh, probably the best part of that movie. Yeah. Uh, but um but yeah, Sweeney Todd. It's it's visually, of course, because Tim Burton is behind it. Is you know, it was very uh, unique uh, as far as uh, its look and everything. I think the performances and and music are really good. And it's yeah, it's got a it's got an off putting topic, but it's not. I don't think it's ever to the point of being gross. Right. You're just like, uh, it is R rated, but it's it's because you know there is a measure of violence. I wonder how many R rated films Tim Burton's done. Not many. Uh, ed wood was one. Oh yeah 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 he's done yeah. maybe three or four yeah that's kind of crazy yeah but I, I love the look of this movie yeah uh, it's 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 grounded it's not as it's not dark shadows mm-hmm. like it, yeah like dark shadow once after this like he just went full cartoon mm-hmm. and he's he's got a little restraint on this one yeah i mean, it's just it's just a perfect uh marriage of these performers all together and everything and i I just i just suggest watching it good good i mean really good music in it too Mm -hmm. i mean even though it's about you know cooking people in the pot (laughs) you know um it's it's a i mean you could consider this a dark comedy yeah Uh, yeah. you know it's uh 
I mean, these all, of course, all the people who are getting killed deserve it. So yeah. it's it's one of those type of things. Well, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I've got two musicals for my underrated. Okay. Um, the movie versions of them, I think, are underrated. First one is Phantom of the Opera. Mm. So Phantom of the Opera came out in 2004, this mm-hmm. most recent version. And I'm a huge fan of this play, just in general. We are going to have to talk about some Phantom of the Opera. This is a very interesting topic to mm-hmm. me. Uh, go ahead and, and uh, talk about the movie, though. Well, so I'm I, I'm really into the soundtrack. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously the song's Andrew Lloyd Webber. This is kind of, I guess, maybe his the, the top of his mountain mm-hmm. uh, in terms of recognizability, at mm-hmm. least. And what they had in this one, they had Minnie Driver as the diva. They had Gerard Butler as the Phantom, mm-hmm. and that's that's the main drawback. He doesn't have a terrible voice. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if he voices his own voice. But the <laughs> the uh, the main draw here uh, for Christine is Emmy Rossum. Yeah, Emmy Rossum is great. In this. this is Emmy Rossum. I think she was like 18, 19. She was young. She was very young. She, I don't think she was even eighteen when she did this. Maybe not. Um, she is absolutely perfect in this role. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's pure and innocent has a great voice mm-hmm. um and just the cinematography the, the way that they shot this uh i think again it's not you know something that i'm going to pop on all the time but when i watch it i enjoy it very much and it, this is kind of a, a, a description of the disparity here uh it's got a 38 percent on rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. the critics did not like it. it's got a what is it? 7.3 on IMDb, mm-hmm. which is by no means like astronomical, but, but it's a good it's rating. Much better than something like 38%. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, a very interesting case to me. For theater lovers, Phantom of the Opera is kind of like Armageddon <laughs> for movie lovers. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, it, and we're, we're movie people, so we look at Armageddon as. I hate that movie. There's some things about it, though, that make it watchable. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if there's any I don't know if there's any other more apt comparison. Theater lovers tend to look down on Phantom of the Opera as a play and as a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this movie was directed by Joel Schumacher, which, mm. did, yeah. you know, didn't give it much of a chance anyway. Fresh off Batman and Robin. He, he <laughs> no. wasn't fresh off of it, but uh, he still had the stink. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, like, this movie, I remember, I and I love the songs in this, too. I think a lot of things, I think a lot of times people look at the subject matter and say, man, the family opera is a whiny little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and he kidnaps this girl and yep. tells her, like, you got to be with me and stop being with this dumbass above ground <laughs> and everything. And people are like, let her make her own choices. Yeah. And so it's it's got those type of little i don't know hang-ups for it the story for it when you when you break it down even after all the songs and everything (laughs) the songs are great but man that phantom of the opera he's such a he's a dick (laughs) he's such a dick um but uh i am with you on this um yeah i'm with you um when the movie came out it got the 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 usual critical reception i expected this movie to get with joel schumacher and phantom of the opera i was like okay yeah i mean it's nobody's gonna like it i remember watching this and i was like i'm i like the song so much and the way this is shot is so is so good i i like it yeah uh i mean i could i mean i could be missing something here uh like i said family opera is one of those divisive type of things between theater lovers and all that 
Uh, but I, I, I love the songs. Do you like the play? Uh, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's the, what we've just brought, what we just brought up, you know, the, the Phantom of the Opera is kind of not a, not a great guy and everything, even though we're, even though the movie and the, the play make him out to be the, the hero or whatever right. of the, it's romanticizing this stalking, you know, kidnapping yeah. motherfucker yeah. who's <laughs> down, who's, you know, down in the bowels of this opera. Who's like, just, Oh, Christie, which is interesting because that's, that's almost like the theme of a lot of old operas, like mm-hmm. the, the Verities and the Puccini's and things like that. Yeah. So it kind of harkens back to it. the reason I asked is I think I've seen both the, the play a, f- a few times and then seen the movie. I think it's a very good adaptation. It's mm-hmm. faithful where it needs to be. It diverts a little bit where you can get away with it in a movie. Um, particularly in that music of the night uh, track where they just yeah. kind of blend it in. Oh man, it's well, really good. And, and that's the thing. The music is so good. It sort of trips you up on what's going on. Yeah. And if you do, if you actually pay attention to what's going on, you're like, this is kind of creepy, yeah. but maybe that's why it's awesome. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and real quick, I'll just throw out um, the movie version of rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, is mm-hmm. I think underseen and underrated. Uh, rent was the, the big thing in the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, for the Broadway play, and the movie uh, that had Anthony Rapp in it, who was the big uh, star in that in the first place, um, it, it just it, it gets a it gets a bad part of the pun rap. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know exactly why it's got a Dina Menzel in it. It's got uh, some really talented performers in the it. The original cast of this is uh, who's who. Oh yeah, like Tay Diggs was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you had Anthony Rapp who. May it may his only big I think his only real well known movie is Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. He was in uh wasn't he in he was in old school or something. One of those movies. What was it? No, it was Road Trip, I think. Oh really? It was Road Trip <laughs> where he played the asshole Dean who's in love with Amy Smart or the asshole like teachers. Oh yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. By the way, at the end of that movie, she just casually calls in a bomb threat so that he can get there in time to take the test. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the movie treats her like a hero for it. Just FYI. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that both of the ones that you brought up were, they were, they're basically based on, like, older material. Like, mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera was an old French novel Yeah, that was turned into a movie later on, Lon Chaney, and, like, a silent film that was, you know, is considered still one of the all-time classics and mm-hmm. everything. Not a musical yet until Andrew Lloyd Webber came along in 1986. It was a long mm-hmm. time before it was a musical. And then this, Rent, is sort of an offshoot of La Boheme. Oh, yeah. Which is another, you know, sort of, you know, I don't, yeah. I, it's another, it's uh, it's derived from. It's like an adaptation. Yeah, yeah it's almost an adaptation. Even though it's not the same. Rent, Rent's more modern day La Boheme. Well, they do have the La Vie Boheme is, yeah, is yeah, one of yeah, the songs yeah. there. And that's one of the best scenes in the movie, by the mm. way. Yeah. Um, yeah, the movie Rent. Uh, that was was it uh, was it Chris Columbus who did that? Um, it was somebody just that generic. <laughs> if it wasn't him, it was one of those hires where they're like, he won't yeah, fuck this up. It's Chris Columbus. Yeah, um, yeah. That I, I mean, I I like Rent. It's a, the songs are yep. are good and everything. It's another movie that like people just kind of shat on for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Oh, I, I'm a theater lover and I love this. I love this play and this musical. And how do you profane it by making it a movie and everything? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. All right, so I'm pissed about my under from my first underrated because up until two days ago, I really thought I was like the only guy banging the gong for this movie, mm-hmm. and then I saw an article about that. I guess they're re-releasing the soundtrack, and 
every single one of the comments was like, this movie's so good. I love it. And I'm like, where the fuck have all you people been for the last 20 years? <laughs> and it's Josie and the Pussycats. Oh. Um, I still haven't seen this. Oh. Even even more so, uh, the music is Letters to Cleo. Uh-huh. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's it's really good, fun pop rock. So solid music all throughout. Um, it's just a goofy, silly little movie about basically one corporation brainwashing everyone who listens to music. Mm-hmm. So they they take they pluck Josie and the Pussycats out of obscurity because they're three pretty girls and they're dumb and they can be manipulated. And they put all this subliminal messaging in their songs when they record in the studio that makes everybody who listens to it want to buy whatever they're being paid to to shill um and it's i think when it came out people took it too seriously but this movie is not taking itself seriously at all right um alan cumming is in it uh everything about this movie is just really fun and goofy and uh, if you if you go in knowing they're winking at you this this whole time i think you'll really enjoy this came out in around 2001 somewhere around there um uh it reminds me a lot that that synopsis you just brought up of that Simpsons episode where in sync is yeah. on the, yeah. it's on the show and like how, how, you know, Bart and Millhouse and all these guys form a boy band. They, they do all the like, you know, studio shit that makes Yvonne them sound- Yes, exactly. And, <laughs> and they find out that the actual message that they're sending is join the Navy. And this whole thing is about, you know, military recruitment. And- <laughs> <laughs> of course, Lisa is the one who's smart enough. Is there something wrong about this? I'm going to have to figure out what's going on. You know, uh, it's kind of similar in the, in the beginning, the band that they're manipulating is a boy band band and it's like seth green and breck and meyer and uh the donald Faison, and they're called du jour <laughs> and they're like du jour means friendship du jour means anyway they figure something out on this plane ride and alan cummings like makes a phone call jumps out with a parachute and the plane fucking crashes and he parachutes into the town where josie riverdale where josie and the pussycats live um anyway really really fun i think you'd like it my other underrated well by the way that's 53 percent on rotten tomatoes Mm. Um, that is weird, man, because this, I remember this being just panned yeah. like by my friends and everything. But then I, I listened to the soundtrack and I, I saw the movie and I love me some letters to Cleo, man. Oh that's, man, it's good, good stuff. stuff. Um, and then, uh, the other one I'm going to do is a Vita. Um, interesting. Wow. It's just for one reason. Um, it's 62 on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think it's great. I mm-hmm. think it's better than that. But this is the movie where I, this is one of those experiences where you realize someone's way more talented than you thought. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> Antonio Banderas, God mm-hmm. damn me, uh, he can sing. He's got a really good. You guys are looking at me like I am crazy. No, nope. actually, I was I was thinking about any other time where he sang in a film. Well, uh, maybe Desperado or one of those films. Mm. Oh yeah, he, he does sing did. in the beginning yeah, yeah. of one of those. Uh-huh. But the the song um, "Another Suitcase in Another Hall," mm-hmm. where Madonna sings, "So what happens now?" and he goes, "Another suitcase in another hall," <laughs> and he's just perfect for that song. <laughs> and I I rem- I only saw this once in the theater. It was God? It had to be ninety eight. It was 96. 96. Um, but when that song happened in the movie, I was like, that's magic right there. What's nice. that, that whole song and scene, because they're not in the same place. Um, anyway, I, th- I don't think it's as bad as 62%. But again, I just said I haven't seen it in like 20 years. I well, remember thinking this was going to be a huge hit when it came out, because the, the remember the trailers were all Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, yeah. and all that. And like I remember going into the theater and watching people watch this trailer and there were like people singing it and mm. all sort of stuff i was like oh this is going to be huge and it turned out to be a huge flop yeah it didn't do anything um 
the 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 director of this alan parker who has a really really strange career like uh he did pink floyd the wall oh wow really uh yeah which he could probably fit into this yeah, in a it was way in the running yeah yeah um but uh he's he's done a lot of like really weird and like just varied you know he's not a a guy you can pin to any one genre or anything but uh but uh i think a lot of times people people credit him for the music video because of pink floyd the wall yeah um so you know madonna got i think she was like critically lauded for this performance but i think everybody that i talked to was just like are you fucking kidding me madonna trying to do evita um but i remember her being because first of all the knock on her as as a performer is that she can't sing i mean uh she's never been like one of those you know you take uh, that back aretha franklin type of things and then the second thing is that she's she's an imposter acting and everything but i remember her doing really really well in this movie she's a she's this is i think her best performance yes uh the problem is she's just a terrible actress you don't think the blank and dick tracy was her best no nor do i think the character she played in the baseball movie oh their own no desperately seeking susan yeah who's that girl yeah what about what's that one she made with uh her husband that they're swept not, away swept yeah, away, swept away. Guy richie i literally just watched that trailer the other day mm-hmm. and god she is awful mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no no good yeah that's where she came out of nowhere speaking the british accent and all <laughs> yeah that. which she still <laughs> speaks today yeah does she really no it i think I, I think i've heard that that she kind of every once in a while slips into that faux <laughs> british it, accent I have, I have one movie to tie into two things that you said because I love it in these movies. You said Josie and the Pussycats where they had like Donald Faison and Breck yeah. and Meyer and all these guys in one band and everything. I love these music movies like this that have like this some like they have a who's who of mm-hmm. band members like the rocker has Will Arnett as oh, lead yeah. singer, Fred Armisen uh bradley cooper all these people are in this in this band and like there's a point where they finally run into rain wilson towards the end of the movie and they're all like (laughs) speaking british it's like yeah we i remember you from a few years ago before we started speaking british (laughs) (laughs) um all right so am i underrated i have across the universe on here oh Uh uh-huh Okay, so it's underrated. Remember, Barrett. Yes. It's not great. Yes. Uh, I, I, I. Another movie that I love the visual aesthetic. I too. agree. And um, and yeah, and again, they're co-opting this time Beatles songs all the way through it. But it's another one of those where yeah, you may not be getting too much into the story. Right. It's about a. <laughs> It's about a guy who's like a who's like Mr. Hippie against war, and then he joins the the army or whatever. Um, but and then so all this, you know, so they have all these Beatles songs all the way through it, and you know, you gotta like you you love Beatles songs, mm-hmm. you got the visual aesthetic. It sort of gets you into it, even though the story itself is kind of. Eh. Did it, he go from hippie to joining the army because he watched that? Bart performance of Yvonne Netanyahu. I think so. I think so. I think that's what happened. Um, this is essentially like a long music video, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. awesome yeah. as a music video. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jay, yeah, you're right. There's just not much like meat on the bone. It's just an excuse to get from each song to each song, which I love. The Beatles, man. I, I'm on board for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, this Jim Sturgis guy was supposed to be yeah. like a big deal at one time. Right. I remember he was. He came on the scene. He did was that in 21, yeah, and mm-hmm. all that were coming out and. He still works, but it's not like he was being thrust out there as this big star and everything. 
Yeah, what um, did happen? Because, yeah, I mean, 21 was a pretty popular movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't it, think many people saw it. No, oh, really? I, don't think I enjoyed it. Was it. A big, I don't think it was a big movie. Josh Gad. Yeah, Josh Gad. I had read the I had read the book called Bringing Down the House mm-hmm. before I watched that movie, and um, I don't know. It also colored my my per, perception of it, but I don't think it's a good movie in general, yeah. even, even with that comparison. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I do I do think this is a movie worth watching, and it's it had fifty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. which might be properly rated um but it's about seven point something on imdb so it is so, found an audience yeah i've seen a lot of those disparities especially in these musical movies or the mm-hmm. music movies that have music in them is where the audience score will be way up there and the mm-hmm. critic score i don't know what it is with critics do they not like musicals no no wait no it's just that the movie going audiences are generally stupid nah mm-hmm. <laughs> we have We've had five Transformers movies for a reason. And so fourteen more. There should more. be a disparity between the audience score and the critic score, because the critic is not going to be fooled by Michael Bay's tricks. <laughs> well, I'm talking about musicals, though, and when I'm hopefully saying, Michael Bay will not do any more. What kills me musicals. is that who's st- who's watching Transformers these days? Like, I mean, it, 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 it obviously. Compared to all the other Transformers that came out, the one that the, the the last whatever fuck came out uh, made still made a lot of money, but it wasn't nearly what it had made before. Mm. But that's still a lot of people going to see it. So who are still really interested in watching people these that movies? just want big dumb action? Hey, as long as people keep squirting out kids, there's going to be some six year old somebody wants to get rid of for two that's hours. True, <laughs> squirting out kids. That's, that's true. how it, that's how it's done, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That is how it's done. I assume you just squeeze the woman from the top like a toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. And Pop. the baby comes yeah. out. I don't know. My mom was an OB nurse for years. That's what that's that's what she told me. Uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. She didn't tell me that. Um so yeah, um we're gonna run down a few we didn't get to here. I did mention Pink Floyd the Wall. I think that's a I don't know where I would put that. I would put it maybe in uh, it would be. I, I would say probably at this point underseen. Yeah, it, it may be an underseen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another movie that's got a lot of uh, cool visuals to it. Yeah, not much stories. I mean, it's a not story much story of- at all. It's about a musician essentially who has had uh, hard luck in life after being becoming a star. Right. Essentially, like his he- wife leaves him. He gets into drugs. Then it, he does get into some sort of like communist b- political movement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how much is fantasy versus reality in this in this uh, context, but yeah, I mean, he's got that that striking imagery of him in the the uniform and everything with no eyebrows. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so you thought you might like to <laughs> go to the show? <laughs> um, I had under my favorites, I put The Muppets, which is a movie that we should, and almost really all the Muppet movies could be under there, but I'm going to put The Muppets here um, just for the just super fun songs that are in that. Of course, there's a lot of super fun songs in all the Muppets filmography. I love that one when Kermit is missing everybody. Mm -hmm. He's like, was was there something I could have said? Now there are only pictures in my head. That whole song <laughs> yeah. Yeah. gets me. Well, the first movie had Rainbow Connection, which yeah. is a great song just on its own. And then he had Moving Right Along and all that stuff. They it's always like, they were really good with the sad songs. Yeah. Like uh, in Muppets Take Manhattan, you have that saying goodbye. Yeah. Why is it sad? Mm-hmm. Makes us remember the good times we had. And like Kermit's walk and like the 
the faded faces of all his friends around his head in a halo start singing background vocals for him yeah anyway yeah good stuff um i under in my underrated i didn't know really where to put this but little shop of horrors Mm -hmm. uh the 1986 version i haven't seen the older version oh the older version is fun as hell is it jack nicholson yeah the one with jack nicholson little shop of horrors obviously had uh, the 86 version had rick moranis steve martin Mm -hmm. um but uh you know i don't i the I love the I love the end of it where the plant has finally become fully functional yeah. and everything and he sings that I'm just a mean green mother from out of space and I'm bad I love that song um, and uh, I don't know where to put it I, I think I think a lot of people have seen Little Shop of Horrors yeah. um, and I don't I don't know I, I put it in underrated but yeah I, who knows where to put that exactly yeah. um, what else is there anything else that we wanted to mention. I was going to mention the meaning of life, yeah, yeah. The meaning of life, because there's a lot of music in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the uh, "Every Sperm Is Sacred" song, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you've got the "Galaxy" song is really like the showpiece of the whole thing, where he's just like he's walking out. It, it, comfort yourself in knowing that uh, we're basically a speck in the universe, and and he goes into these incredible details of how big the universe is, and it's only uh, one of the the many galaxies in there. And uh, it's just, it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And then what's what's really funny, you know, you remember the the skit where the fat guy walks into the restaurant and orders everything and uh, has one little mint and he explodes everywhere. But at the be- beginning of that scene, Eric Rattles, the, the entertainment up at the piano, and he's like, I'd like to sing you a little song. Isn't it really nice to have a penis? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to have a dick? <laughs> <laughs> all the patrons are just like smiling yeah. politely yeah. <laughs> yeah that's so good <laughs> love that movie oh my god um uh, i tried to figure out a way to classify for getting sarah marshall as a musical movie just so yeah. that we could inside it is, it is about well, you got the muppet uh, thing. Of you. there's like three songs that first russell brand song that you see on entertainment oh tonight yeah or the, what, we it? gotta do african child <laughs> no that's get him to the greek i think is that african no child? it's in forgetting sarah marshall is it really? right isn't it no. isn't it i don't know what you're talking about Not no, it, at the, the beginning greek. of get, get him to the greek that's where he went off the rails mm-hmm. um because like the clap was his big hit when mm-hmm. he was uh, in a, in his heyday, but then he did African Child, and it was that music video that was so tonally <laughs> off, like he's dancing with these tribes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's it, basically it's an apology tour for African Child. Is mm. get him to the Greek. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so that's get him to the Greek. So the the you got to do something song is what I'm and thinking. Inside of. of you, and then the 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 vampire uh, <laughs> die. <laughs> but it is, but it is of course about him being a composer too and yeah. you've got a lot of the you know the little the he music goes, interludes he's putting in that he's at the bar and she's like she's like that show sucks he's like I, did i mention i do the music for that program she's like oh the, but the music rocks like, no it's just tones the masturbating dog killer is on the loose again he'll kill the owner but the dog is happy bong <laughs> um i also had uh jeremy briefly mentioned the lion king and i'm probably gonna have some more to say about the lion king by the end of this podcast but uh that's a that's another good one that's the last one that i truly feel like i don't know i haven't seen moana Mm -hmm. that feels like the last really great disney musical to me yeah all the other stuff that came out afterwards 
usually are musicals. Mm-hmm. They all have songs that they sing spontaneously and all that. But I don't know if there's one out of the Disney animation class. Even I don't think Pixar really does very many musicals. They have songs that occasionally come into like stuff like Toy Story. Yeah. And, all that but they're not Mm -mm. musicals in any way so lion king's got a lot of like really good stuff in it yeah Um, and it works really well you know with the hakuna matata and circle of life and all that stuff and then of course the yeah um because that whole yeah no it's 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 so good um and then i also had uh and you know jeremy mentioned south park team america yeah oh yeah team america also uh uh is a good musical you know what i love about team america is the refrain uh for from america fuck yeah yeah because you've got when he it may have been right outside that that bar scene uh where where he pukes everywhere and it's like a man it's all slowed down it's like america fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but uh yeah so we probably missed a few but i think that was a good well-rounded yeah, musical totally. uh you know discussion there. yeah no i think we got some obscurity in there even mm-hmm. yeah uh all right so we want to talk about nature box yeah. today right Woo-hoo. absolutely mm-hmm. we got an uh, an email the other day from oh, yeah. somebody who was like uh usually don't listen to ads because you know fuck ads yeah. <laughs> and i agree with him fuck ads because usually it's just people reading copy right yep, yep. or they add a fuck or two in it and it's awesome right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but we we go in and we we say look we've used this product and i love nature box yep. stuff i mean the stuff is really good yeah. we've actually tried it a oh, bunch yeah. and like it's amazing all the time we've tried a ton what did this guy say by the way all right so i'll read uh, just a snippet from this email i'm emailing you this is uh from one of our wonderful servicemen uh in the military in america here i'm emailing you to talk to you guys about your plugs for nature box originally i was annoyed by the plugs as i hate ads okay mm-hmm. uh we cut our cable and pay extra for hulu and youtube red so we get even less ads I listen to shitloads of podcasts, so uh, I don't have to listen to ads uh, on the radio, too. That's the dedication level. All right. Uh, but then the ad became more conversational and less advertisement-y. Nice. Then Jeremy would talk about anecdotes about uh, the unboxing, and you would all talk about your favorite snacks. I thought, why the hell not? I'm currently deployed in the Pacific, and I thought that a subscription service snack delivery would be dope as shit. All right. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I pulled the trigger and ordered me some CinemaSense favorites. Uh, he sent us a picture, and uh, thanks to your recommendation, I avoided the balut. Look it up and let me know what you think. And had many tasty snacks. I look forward to going home and continuing my snack fest with the wife during our own unboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or saying, fuck it, we'll get our own snacks. So mm-hmm. thank you, Cinema Sins. You're the best. Really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah well, there's an ad hater, and we turned him around. That's right. Mm-hmm. We turned him around by by our by the charm of our personality. <laughs> And the true, honest deliciousness of these snacks. Exactly. In fact, so we're, we're about to do this uh, Wizard World Nashville uh, convention coming up. And between now and then, it's about a week away, um, I've got a ginormous nature box coming. And I'm thinking about setting aside some of my favorite snacks and bringing them to the convention and Ooh. doing like a giveaway for fans or Ooh. passing them out to the first row so everybody can have some cheddar sourdough pretzels yeah. or something mm-hmm. maybe we'll make some more disciples yeah i actually uh, have the same like it's coming on monday or tuesday so yeah. i may do that too yeah. i went jerky crazy on this most <laughs> it's oh, easy to go jerky crazy it really it is. is and then we got we got the white cheddar and caramel popcorn which is always just a classic uh we got the vanilla bean wafers i got those i love those and i got for my son i got these like organic chocolate animal crackers oh. and he flipped out he was like 
is that for me? And I was like, yeah, man. Was like, yeah. Wow. It was gone in five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know anybody, Jeremy, that likes pretzels more than you do. Yeah, I love them. I'm you, a pretzel uh, you, guy. You, 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 like, everywhere we go and there's pretzels, that's what you're getting. Yeah, I'm a pretzel guy. So what, how, does the, how do these sourdough pretzels that they they offer, how, how do they stack up? Okay, so here's the deal. There's... It, when when you enter the world of pretzels, mm-hmm, you're entering mm-hmm. a, a diverse, vast world. Yes, the best, the king of the pretzel food chain is the soft, warm pretzel. Yes, mm-hmm. the, the likes of which you simply cannot get from a ship to your door service. No, it's not going to be hot if Nature Box, even if it's hot when they send it, gonna be cold by the time it's on my door. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you've got your supermarket pretzels. You know, you got your basic. You could do your sticks, or you could do your little twirls, or what have you. But then you get into flavor country, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you get all these. You can add cheddar to it, or you can add mustard to it, or what have you. And so, what these aged cheddar sourdough pretzels do for me is combine three of my favorite things: mm-hmm. pretzels, cheese, and sourdough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like I, I just whenever I go to the supermarket, I'm looking for bread. I'm always looking at sourdough first. It's just one of my favorite breads to eat. And so you basically combine three of my favorite things into this one. It's not just a pretzel. Right. It's not just a cheese. It's not just a sourdough. It's all three together mm-hmm. that produce this very distinct. Inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like I said in the ad on the video, it's like they raided God's pantry. It's like, the, <laughs> like eating awesome. Yeah. You know? So yeah, they're just. It's my very very favorite thing to get. Well, we've given you a lot of options. You can actually. Get the snacks that we get uh, if you go to, and it's really important to go to naturebox.com slash syncast. Go to that URL, and that way you're going to get your first three free snacks uh, with your with your first order. Mm-hmm. And that will blow your mind. Just enter the promo code SINS, and you are good to go, baby. You're going to be snacking. It's going to be beautiful. Um, let us know how they are, just like our, our uh, listener here that sent us an email. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy when people send me pictures on Twitter, mm-hmm. show me what they what they ordered, tell me what their favorites were. Every now and then, Nature Box will chime in on Twitter and yeah. say, glad you liked it. Uh, those conversations are always fun. Show us your nom-noms yeah. <laughs> if you need to. That's right. That's not dirty. <laughs> show no. us your nom-noms, wafers, and... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Show us your stars. Although Show us your I've, stars. I've, I've, I've got to say, I've been biting my lip this entire uh, ad because we've said so many things that could be dirty, and I did not go there. I did not go there. It's hard. It is. Uh, anyway, yeah. go to naturebox.com slash syncast. Enter the promo code SINS. Three free snacks in that first order, man. It's Join awesome. the revolution. So do we want to get to questions? Oh, I would love to get to questions. Let's get to questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. So the first I question. I want the truth. I got <laughs> something to say. I am listening. <laughs> uh, this question is from uh, the person that uh, submitted that uh, NatureBox email, by the way. And thank you for, for doing that. And for this question, I've been a cable cutter since 2012. When we started Netflix and Hulu, I had all kinds of things to watch from the, all the distributors. Now, uh, with companies like Disney and CBS making their own distribution networks online and pulling their stuff from the main source, like Netflix and Hulu, it's becoming harder to watch good movies. What do you guys think? Um, what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of text after that. It was like, you guys um, rock. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm, I think the market will self-correct. Mm-hmm. I don't think the market can sustain... 20 different proprietary streaming services like CBS's and Disney's and yada, yada, yada. Uh, I think it will self-correct back uh, in time. Um, the problem for, for 
average movie lovers and what he's sort of pointing out is I can't pay Hulu, Netflix, Disney, CBS, Fox. I can't pay all those people. Mm -hmm. And if I just choose one, I'm limiting my options. Um, And to that point, uh, I sympathize uh, because it's just kind of it is what it is right now. Although I think this question is written in reaction to the news that Disney was going to pull their stuff from Netflix. Uh, but they immediately the next day, Netflix got them to sit down and they, they're negotiating to keep like it's either the Pixar movies or the Mar- maybe the Marvel movies, huh. some major element of it. They want to they're negotiating to keep. And Netflix, I don't know where they get it from, but they fucking burn cash. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to run out. Um, I think the long term, the, the way I looked at the question was sort of digital versus physical mm-hmm. right like and music pushed us in this direction i haven't bought a cd in god knows how long right right and i buy i buy movies because we we are a movie related youtube channel and our process necessitates that we have a physical copy um but you know i remember reaching a point about six years ago that I was like you know what i don't really care if i own it or not mm-hmm. i don't as long as i can listen to it or watch it whenever i want at the drop of a hat i don't care if it's sitting over here on my wall or in the custody of netflix Mm -hmm. anyway that is an annoying thing though is when you're looking for a movie and i'm sure a lot of people can relate you go to netflix netflix probably doesn't have the movie (laughs) you go to amazon prime sometimes they don't have the movie they have it but you you can you have to spend an extra amount Mm, of money even though you're on amazon prime and you're already spending 99 dollars a year for that um i usually can find it on amazon prime if i can't find it on netflix but and then comcast if you've got like a cable company or something like that they also have a selection of free movies i've done this a bunch of times where i've gone to amazon prime i found the movie i'm like okay i'll rent this for the 3.99 whatever it's no no matter i want to see this movie and then i go and find out oh could have watched it for free on the cable service yeah so there's three different things going on there there's all these different things and the problem is with all this, these different services having all sorts of different things is that, yeah, you do want to watch something that's not on Netflix or something. And we're seeing so many of these companies branch off and trying to make their own content. The the one that was called CISO yeah. is going to be done by the end of the year because they could not generate enough money for the stuff that they're doing. And they were just a comedy channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and we we're seeing all these streaming services do that. There's too much. It's too much fragments out there, yeah. and you'd like to have that one stop shop, you know, or at least I don't have to go through it, you know, go through three or four different services. Right. And it's uh, the the way things change. I mean, yeah, there are always articles every week about here's what's leaving Netflix yeah. this week or whatever. I can't. I don't. I don't pay attention to yeah. that a lot. No. You know, I mean, most of the time, if I want to see a movie, I'm not going to go to Netflix probably because it's not <laughs> yeah. going to be there. Well, and we're, you know, we're, we're in a unique position. It's kind of hard for us to answer this from the perspective of the listener because I've been in that room next door and Chris has 8,000 Blu-rays. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have 1,000, which is enough. Uh, we've, if I want to watch a movie, there's a very good chance I already own it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what the question asker is talking about mm. I, th- I think it sucks the more it fragments and uh you know i i, I do think the market will self-correct it's just going to take a few years you yeah can't sustain for all of them i mean you've got this this kind of trade-off of whether you want um ease of use versus competition because 
at this point, we're, we're getting to a point where all the cable companies, it's basically Time Warner and Comcast, maybe RCN in, in different places, but um, it's one, two, or three options for cable. Um, and everybody keeps buying each other, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with internet providers. But, you know, it's kind of nice. It's kind of refreshing that we don't have one conglomerate that owns everything mm-hmm. um, in this particular space. But, you know, it's it's like Google, Yahoo, AOL back in the day. It's going to end up one way or another. I mean, it's it's going to homogenize. Yeah. And, and that's for better as far as, you know, the customer experience. And it's probably for worse in terms of, you know, who who gets a seat at the table. Well, I mean, and, and everybody else is ke- playing catch up. Like mm-hmm. Netflix has tens of millions, hundreds of millions of subscribers. If Disney wants to start their own service, well, Disney's got millions of fans around the world, but they're still starting from zero. Yep. And so... You have to have a return on the investment and, you know, broadband video hosting is not cheap. Part of the reason Netflix is burning so much money. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. Next question. What are some of your favorite films that are seen mostly or completely from one character's perspective? I like this answer so much. In Children of Men, Clive Owen's characters are our entire reference to the world in which he lives. And the camera always focuses on his point of view. Now, I had not thought about that. Um even when you see Jesper uh, meet his end, you see it from his perspective. There's no cutaways to just like a, you know, a random scene with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's very cool and gets gets us thinking. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought about this long and hard, and I might even be wrong on a couple of these. The first thing that came to my mind was I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it helps that he's basically one of only three human characters in the entire movie anyway. Uh, but there's not really any scenes in that movie except for the very, very final scene, which is terrible, uh, yeah. that, that he's not in and is not the main focus of. And so we're seeing everything from sort of his perspective. Uh, and I also thought about The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Now, well, we do get that scene with Cypher mm-hmm. and the agent, but once once Neo enters the story, I think he's pretty much in every scene. He is. I mean, the whole confrontation between Morpheus and Agent Smith, obviously he shows up in the helicopter later on. Sure. But that starts off with... Oh, God, I guess you're right. Them. Yeah. See, I mislabeled that one. But I don't no, think that works. no, I think by and large, it's totally his perspective because it starts off, obviously, with him being it is because It is because you, just like him, don't know what's going on. Yeah. You have no idea... And so it's not like in the beginning of it we see some scene with Morpheus and Trinity going, "We're going to have to get this guy out yeah. of his out of his thing." Then we know, okay, we know more than the main character does and everything. So I think it's All right. it's basically him. I mean, there are, I mean, that's what the question says. It's mm-hmm. mostly from their perspective. Yeah. and there is, yeah, there are a couple of scenes that are away from Neo in this, but not not enough to really. All right, good. Yeah. Um. I, uh, I'm going to go with Taxi Driver. Ooh. Um, and I like Taxi Driver's perspective uh, from one one person's point of view, because not only do we see what he sees, we also, by, by the tricks of Scorsese, see how he perceives it. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene, like, there's a scene in this, there's not anything, I don't think there's anything overtly racist in Taxi Driver. We know that Travis Bickle doesn't like black people. Mm -hmm. And it's just from one little scene where it's just black people in a diner. Mm -hmm. And it just goes over to him and he's just like looking at him like, I wish I wasn't here right now. Yeah, yeah. And it it makes, yeah, the movie itself makes no comment. You just see what he sees. And this, and it just, 
you know, we see all the different, we see his loneliness mm-hmm. and we see like the way he, he perceives he needs to be a hero. Like he wants to, he wants to do something, but his heroism has negative aspects to it. You know, like, uh, one moment he's, <laughs> or, and sometimes he thinks being a hero is, is, uh, is like, for instance, okay. So he's one one moment of heroism he thinks is to kill this political candidate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He thinks that is the best thing to do in his mind that he wants to do to to you know whatever. But then on the opposite of that, he goes and kills a whole bunch of drug dealers and and uh yeah. and uh you know child prostitute peddlers and all this other type of stuff. Still even when he does that, you're like, ah, oh, man, it still gives me some a bad, yep. some bad feelings and everything. Um, I like just, I just like that perspective of it because it makes sense in his in his head. Yes, when you're that alone, you you start doing this self confirmation of what what you're thinking is correct, and that's to get off on a tangent. That's what social media kind of reinforces. Mm-hmm. But if you're by yourself and you start thinking in a certain way. You start consuming media in a certain way, mm-hmm. and it's it's a confirmation. And uh, if you don't have anybody to check you on that, then you can have whatever beliefs that you want, and there's there's no challenge to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you get on a particular line of thought, like being a hero, then it's just going to keep steamrolling I, towards the end. I don't I've, I don't haven't really ever looked into this, but I'm guessing he gets the idea to kill the political guy because of Sybil Shepherd like turning him down in, in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. and everything. And he's like, well, I'll show her, you know, I'm going to, you know, kill this guy. Um, but even in that, and keep coming back to it, but the reason that he takes her to the porn theater is mm-hmm. that he thinks there is absolutely nothing wrong with this. There's, he thinks there's it's no, romantic. He thinks it's romantic. This is, you know, this is these are movies that I go to see. You know, I don't yeah. know if everybody likes them, but he doesn't have any sort of frame of reference to say, like, that's fucked up, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's that's why I like that's why I like it so much is that is that his his view is very skewed. He's our protagonist, mm-hmm. but he's not he's definitely not a hero in this movie. And we get to see how he perceives things, and that's why that movie's so interesting all the way throughout. Uh, I'm going to go pretty literal on mine uh, in Cloverfield, mm. um, where it's shot entirely from dude's perspective. Bas- basically, T.J. Miller. Yeah, it's T.J. Miller. <laughs> uh, what is his name? Chud? I was going to look Hud. Yeah, Hud. Hud. Chud. Chud. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in seventh grade that was a wicked insult. You Chud. <laughs> Um, chode no, chode was the insult <laughs> chud is the movie about like a cannibalistic so, human yeah, something yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway the perspective is from this guy hud um and it's literally he's he for better or worse there are some ridiculous times where he should not be pointing a camera in these dangerous situations mm. but obviously we need it yeah uh for for our purposes but uh yeah, I mean it's it's very cool. Of course, found footage at this point has become a cliche after Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch before this. Um, but I I like it when it's used correctly, and I think in this in this case it is because mm-hmm. there's a limit to what you can see, and, and if this guy is not directly looking at it, then it happens off frame or if it you know that kind of thing, and you're left with your imagination to fill in the yeah. blanks. And I think that's a really cool method of of uh, perspective. Now, I guess at at the end of it. At the very end, he loses that perspective mm-hmm. when he sees the monster. Right. But, uh, uh, it, the movie kind of cheats a little bit with those interspersed little cuts of, oh, of yeah. dude with his girlfriend and everything. 
but I think that's a cool use of of one perspective throughout the the entire narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good call. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I uh, I also had a couple others that I, I wrote down. One uh, one movie that I wanted to bring up because this is sort of a cheating answer, but I don't know if you guys probably haven't seen this Audrey Tattoo movie called He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, it's the there's two halves to this movie. One half is from her perspective. Uh, she seems to be she seems to be having an affair with this married man, and he is not paying any attention to her. He's like you know he's completely basically ghosting her or whatever. And you're like, what a dick that guy is, and I hope she gets out of this situation and all that other type of stuff. Movie rewinds, and then it goes from his perspective, and everything you thought you knew is completely different interesting um and uh so it it has two perspectives but it's really essentially one per half or whatever if you want to if you wanted to i want to see that is it the exact same dialogue exact same uh or do they play it out they there will be the same dialogue but with different context oh that's cool and uh, i think it's a really well done movie it didn't get i don't know it didn't get much um you know it didn't get much of a, a play here i saw i think i saw it at Maybe I saw it at the Belcourt or Green mm. Hills or something like that, but um, but uh, it was a really interesting movie because yeah, because especially Audrey Tattoo coming off of Amelie, which is another movie you could probably mm-hmm. put in this list. Uh, coming off Amelie, you 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 tend to sort of you know care about her yep. and and think that you know she's our protagonist of this movie and everything and that this dude's a dick and then when it goes to his person it's so i think it's a really interesting look so anyway yeah, i like that idea greetings from sweden hello greetings. sweden hello sweden that's exactly i'm how such you a racist <laughs> um can you give me an example of a horrible edit or an entire movie that that takes you out of it and almost ruins the experience mm, okay I had to think about this for a while because the thing is, most of the time when a movie is horribly edited, it's a horrible movie. <laughs> so That's true. therefore, there's there's nothing that there is there's nothing there to ruin. It's already bad and you know, it's not by the end of it. Well, that movie was terribly edited, but <laughs> I loved it, you know, or anything like that. Now, the question also puts in the frame of mind one like a particular edit mm-hmm. in the movie right. takes you out of it. The movie Citizen Kane has one of these edits. Um, Now, obviously, Citizen Kane's a masterpiece, and I'm sure there's been much said about this one scene I'm about to bring up, and people are going to tell me it's genius, and, you know, it it brings world peace to everybody. (laughs) um, They go to some vacation spot. Right. Now, the entirety of their village. Right. Yeah. They're like, you know, yeah, exactly. They go with like a huge, like, amount of carriages going down this beach or whatever. I think the transition to that is this squawking freaking parrot or something. Oh, where it goes across the screen. You know, like, there's some really, like, just, oh, like, crazy sound. And uh, and it just it's just this bird that squawks and then they go on to that. Yeah, I believe now I believe that Orson Welles is trying to make a statement about Susan Alexander's screaming in this oh, whole thing. Wow, I do believe that's what it is. Uh, if that's if that's the case, it's even worse yeah. than I imagined. Yeah. Um, but you know. It's just a really just like shockingly like ridiculous of, yeah. transition. And the whole movie doesn't have anything like that. 
And uh, so it, it comes out of nowhere. It's it, it makes your ears bleed. And I think it's also making a statement about this woman who's making some very valid points, mm-hmm. although she is, you know, annoying yep. in the way that she's doing it or whatever. I just I feel like it's a statement that he's making. And I'm like, don't really like the statement you're making. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, there's a lot I could go with, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Planet of the Apes, the original. Oh, my God. Which we just sinned. <laughs> and there's a, few, there's a good handful of wonky cuts in the first 30 minutes of this movie. But the big one is when they're on the ship. Mm-hmm. We even wrote a sin about it in the sins video because Heston is basically just standing up. And it cuts to another angle of all three of them. And there's no fucking way he could have gotten across in between the two of them yeah. <laughs> and uh it's, it's one of the only times we've written a sin about a cut being weird but that's also a great movie that i love uh and and that cut definitely takes me out of it thankfully it happens in the first five minutes so i'm not really that into it yet it seems like that happened a lot in these movies back in the 60s and 70s actually if you look through the history of all these like older movies they always had these weird cuts where like somebody is you know the continuity cut where somebody's got their hands down and then like it cuts over and their hands are up or yeah. they're facing a different situation different uh, position and everything uh but especially in the, like the late 60s and 70s where they were fascinated with these weird zooms yeah, yeah. where like it, it's like it's like they didn't have it really on center and they're like they're trying to center it and zoom it at the same yeah. time and that's what that also has yep. in that scene is is not only is Heston completely in like a different position than he was in the previous shot. It's just that it's like it's like, whoa, and then it's like, <laughs> zooms in. you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's very off putting. Yeah. You can make a case that, you know, the Avengers is, is a very good movie. But that whole fight scene at the end mm-hmm. uh, with the Battle of New York is just edited mm-hmm. and chopped all the shit. Yep. Um. Mine is, is for a, a movie that we just watched recently, Shrek 2. Oh, yeah. Um, Shrek 2, a lot of people like this movie. I have no idea why. There's no story to this whatsoever. It's just a bunch of cultural references, fart and poo jokes, and like a little semblance of a, of a story. And Antonio Banderas. By the way, that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking about what, the last time I heard him sing. Because oh. he does a, a a version of "Live in La Vida Loca." Oh, that's right. Oh. And it's his verse is very nice. His voice is <laughs> yeah. Uh, even though good. even though the song choice is awful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, a literally. I mean, there's there's like an "Are we there yet?" thing that feels like it takes twelve minutes mm. to go through. Um, it's just repetitive mm-hmm. and it's just annoying. So movie's got time for this. Now it's eighty two minutes without credits. Um, there's a point where Shrek and uh, Donkey and Puss in Boots find out the the plot they're uh, they they know what's going on they have to tell fiona uh what's going on and the fairy godmother comes out and they she starts to chase them and all of a sudden what could be a really interesting chase scene some meat on the bone in this movie they cut away to something completely different they cut away to the ball the the celebration And then it cuts back to the king's knights like taking over and like arresting them via cops. Yeah, like yeah, the cops, a cop spoof uh, type of uh, t- show. And it's all that whole cut was just to get that fucking cultural reference in there, mm-hmm. and which is dated as hell at this point. At two, in two thousand four, it's dated. Yeah, exactly. And it's like fucking. Are you serious? Like this is you've got time for all of this bullshit. But you don't have time for <laughs> to show us how this actually goes down and make it make sense. And yeah, fucking. Well, I didn't like that movie overall, but that one drove me nuts. Especially since they show that fairy godmother can like go from one place to another and like She's lightning quick. Yep. 
And, and you know, why does he even need to, to arrest him? Yep. Like, why does he even need the knights to arrest him? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Fuck. Fuck that movie. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, oh, exactly. Uh, speaking of fucks. Yeah. All right. Uh, as you know, PG-13 movies are only allowed one fuck with some exceptions. Mm-hmm. That being said, what is your favorite use of fuck in a PG-13 movie? Mm. Mine is probably X-Men First Class when Wolverine tells Xavier, go fuck yourself. That is a good one. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the best one. <laughs> you know I'm partial to the Martian ones. So mm-hmm. Fuck you, Mars. Um, but uh, I wrote down Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah. You remember this movie? Mm-hmm. Everyone in school was quoting this one line when the gangster said, don't fuck with the lords of hell. And she says, don't fuck with the babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Got a knife drawn and everything. Yeah, yep. And uh, that, that, that was my choice. Now, watch. That movie's rated R, and I just didn't know it. I'm pretty sure it's PG-13, no, yeah. but it got two fucks out of the way yep. in that one. It's one of those rare, like, it got borderline, you know. Uh, it was. It, I'm sure there was discussion as to whether that was going to be an R-rated movie or not. I'll bet. Because once it gets to, like, once you get to that two in a row like that, you know. Yeah. It's um, so silly that we're even having this conversation. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I I like the question. Don't get me wrong. Well, it's but- like it's like why does one fuck give you PG thirteen and then like plane trains and automobiles where it's just one scene where he says it a bunch gives yeah. it an R rating, like as if you know your impressionable children aren't going to know that word by one. I mean, yep. they're going to know that anyway yeah, from being exactly. at school, but. Like, the, like that's going to make the movie not, you can't watch it just because it has more? Yeah. I, I don't get it. Once you hear the word. Once you hear it twice. Oh, God. Once no. you hear it's out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> once you hear the word once, you know what the word is. Yep. And you think it all the time. <laughs> that's all you can think about. That's right. There's just, there's days that I've wasted where I'm just <laughs> thinking fuck. of the word fuck. fuck. Uh, in uh, okay, so this movie is not very good, but I love the delivery. It's in the Longest Yard, the remake <laughs> with Adam Sandler. Uh, there's a point where one of the players gets like just destroyed on the field or whatever, and he's like, um, he says something like, "I've got a bird. His name is Ronnie." Like whatever. And Chris Rock comes. It's like one of those like overhead shots or whatever. And he looks like he's like, "Well, you need to tell Ronnie you got knocked the fuck out." <laughs> <laughs> And it's just the way he says it is so well done. <laughs> There's some good stuff in them. Obviously, the the original is really good, but the uh, Terry Crews cracks me up in oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, they're talking about like cheeseburgers and hot dogs. Because <laughs> of Adam Sandler is like, you're being a real McAsshole right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite parts about like storylines going through uh, Anchorman is that he'll read anything on the teleprompter. Oh yeah, and. Uh, I'm Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> like somebody put a question mark on the teleprompter. He'll read anything that's in front of him. And then, of course, um, you know, I don't know exactly how this comes to fruition, by the way, because I don't think it's Veronica Corningstone that, that actually does this. It almost looks like it's one of the women in the office. No, she, that, Veronica Corningstone does it. She definitely does yeah, it? Yeah, she just gets the idea from the other. After some, well, yeah, from the other women, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, at the end of it, he's like, go fuck yourself, San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't know he's even done it. Yeah, he's like, it's a good show. It's funny, when you brought this movie up, I was like, I could have sworn that movie was rated R. Yeah. Especially because after that scene, he's like, I would never say fuck. <laughs> I would never say fuck. Like, like he's saying it a few times. But that's a deleted scene. 
Is it? Yeah, because I've I've seen it. I don't know if on my DVD if it plays it because it's the unrated cut. Mm-hmm. Um, if it just like includes that in there, but in the in the theatrical version, that's a deleted scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I I I totally did not know that. Yeah. I've seen the the Blu-ray version of it so many times right. now that I was you know I felt like that was already in. There's there. also that great Bruce Almighty f bomb. Yeah. from Niagara. Falls. Oh, that is back to you, fucker. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> so and it it that joke doesn't work if he doesn't say fuckers <laughs> yeah. it's not as good it has to shock you man yeah. that is one of that is one of my all-time crowd reaction things to watch was bruce almighty during that scene because he's he's out in fucking rainy ass niagara falls and like he's being told that he's not going to get this anchor job and so he goes around asking all these questions like, let's ask let's ask the old lady on the titanic what she thinks about all this he's like he's like he's like what do you think oh what you why didn't i get the anchor job he's just asking the, asking the woman what do you think i didn't get the anchor job is it my whatever i don't remember what he says and then and then yeah, that whole thing back to you and he's got that that fist that he pulls yep. and i love the cuts to jennifer aniston's girlfriend character just watching because at first she he freezes and she's like say something say something and then he starts talking and she just (laughs) that is a great one uh what are your favorite dark comedies Mm. now this is an interesting one because i think it's Maybe too narrow of a focus for a traditional movie club. No. Although we could we could rattle off a few. I was I was looking into this and I was like, man, there are quite a few that I'd like to name here. But I, I'm going to go with a movie I've talked about a million times, and it's Election. Mm, mm. That's a good one. It's probably my favorite dark comedy there is. Uh, another another movie where your protagonist is not such a great guy, mm-hmm. but yeah, man, I that I can't say enough about election. I know that a, I know that a few people out there are going to be like, you got to talk about Harold and Maude. Well, I've seen Harold and Maude. I saw it <laughs> twenty years ago. I don't remember much about it. I do remember that I liked it. Mm-hmm. Harold and Maude generally considered like the apex of those dark comedies and everything. Uh, and it is very good, very good movie. Um, and I also had uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, and, um, that's the darkest comedy. Yeah, man. yeah, it very much when is. You're, when you're joking about nuclear war, mm-hmm. nuclear holocaust, nuclear <laughs> holocaust, <laughs> as Denzel Washington says in Crimson Tide. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that's 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 no joke. Yeah. I mean, you know no, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, they do it in a, a brilliant fashion, so obviously, great. in that. And then I also, uh, uh, American Psycho, I think, is a good dark oh, good comedy. Call. Good call. So, is this technically a comedy? It is, it has to be, it's for sure. That whole business card thing, and, yeah, and him, him, great. him talking about Huey Lewis and the whole history of like, you know, like where he became popular and everything. Like, you know, I mean, that Huey Lewis thing is hilarious. Oh, yeah um the 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 part in the part also where the guy like gives him his card and he gets so jealous of the card there's that line that casual there's no bathroom to there's no good bathroom to do coke in here you know there's (laughs) i feel like we do enough (laughs) you know it's a dark comedy i i have a i have trouble with brett easton ellis in defining i guess that's that's a good thing defining like less than zero i guess is supposed to be a comedy Mm mm-hmm uh, rules of attraction is supposed to be a comedy. yeah rules of attraction is extremely dark comedy too. right i mean that came on the other day i was sitting there watch i can't i can i'm always forcibly drawn to that movie I, you know yeah i come to the conclusion there's not a single good person in that movie no no, no, no hell no definitely not 
Like, there's a bunch of protagonists, but they're all shitheads. Well, yeah, Shannon Sossman is shown as, like, the the, the, closest. the angel, but she really isn't. She's still blowing her professor. Yeah, yeah. It's not like she's innocent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nobody really redeemable in this movie. Who is her friend at the end that, uh, that kind of sits with her? She- well, I know her roommate's Jessica Biel. Jessica like, Biel's her roommate. Right, yeah, yeah and but, she's not very good either. But yeah, oh man. Yeah, Dawson is not very nice. No, everyone's oh, he's, an he's probably the worst yeah. of all, all of them. He and probably is. The Ian Somerhalder character yeah. is like living in his own mind, yeah. essentially. Um, the uh, <laughs> That friend that comes by that you brought that scene up, it yeah. sucks, coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's annoying, but he's funny annoying God, in the movie. I love hearing that, because I, I saw that recently, too, that whole rundown of that European trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so monotone, and it's just like, I met this girl at the uh, at the Louvre. Uh, we got along really well, started kissing. We fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she sucked my dick, and I did this, and then... Like, God damn. Um, well, I'll... I'll go with the cable guy. I, I I really wanted to find a dark yeah. comedy I love that I haven't talked about a bunch already, but I just came up with Arsenic and Old Lace and the Cable Guy. Nice. Um, I I would probably be just as drawn to Election as you are, mm-hmm. but my, I'd say the Cable Guy is probably my they favorite. They both have dark Matthew comedy. Broderick. It's good. That's yeah, right. that's, there's a there's a connection mm-hmm. right there. Um, you know, everything in that movie just gets me the right way. Um. Uh, and it's Jim Carrey dark. It's mm-hmm. why it wasn't a hit. People weren't ready for that. And maybe they still aren't. Well, I, I remember watching it the first time. I think I brought this up on the podcast. The first time I watched this, I did not like it because yeah. it, it I didn't know what it was trying to be. Right. I didn't know if it was trying to be comedy or if it was trying to be a thriller. And of course, it's both. Yeah. Um, it, it is showing how, how dark and lonely this guy, another effect of loneliness mm-hmm. happening with this guy watched it a couple more times of course later now i know this movie front and back and everything um yeah i mean it's really well done yeah 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 and, and it's a early early ben stiller genius before the world was ready for it yeah um my all-time favorite dark comedy or one of my all-time favorite dark comedies uh would be american beauty mm-hmm. um because that movie's got such bits of humor in it uh typically coming from kevin spacey but from other places too that I just love it. It's so subversive. Anytime like you watch it, you'll see a new angle that they're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why people, there was the backlash after the Oscar win and everything, but people didn't w- know what to make of this movie mm-hmm. um, because you've got a traditional type of thing with Annette Benning and all that stuff. And then you've got this story that, that Lester Burnham goes through, which is so just odd and creepy at times, obviously. Uh, but one thing I wanted to mention, it's not my one of my all-time favorites, but it is a lot of fun. It's Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Also oh, came yeah. out in 1999. Kirsten Dunn. Yeah, so it's it's made by, um, it's made within like this, uh, the, the mockumentary type of mm-hmm. format, like a Christopher Guest type of film. And Not as got, good as his films. No, I mean, he's he's the master at that. But, but it um, does have its moments. It does. And the the way that it's got a little bit of Heathers sprinkled in, it's got a little bit of like Best in Show and that kind of thing, or Waiting for Guffman uh, sprinkled in. And the way that these, the suddenness in which these girls are being killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the whole thing is that, that one is like the front runner at a beauty pageant in Minnesota. And you have this up and comer from Kirsten Dunst who's like, oh, I'm just going to try it. I want to be like Diane Sawyer. And uh, few by few, these girls keep getting off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, Denise Richards, um, Kirsten Dunst, and the mom is played by 
Ellen Barkin. Yeah. And Kirstie Alley's in it, too. So there's a lot of good... Brittany Murphy's in it. There's a lot of good people in it. Well, that's another one. When you brought up Heathers, there's another one that would be perfect for this. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking forward to the TV show? No. No. Yeah. No. I mean, you could mind some interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to the TV show slightly more than I am the all-female version of Lord of the Flies (laughs) they just announced. Yeah, what the fuck was that all about? (laughs) Directed by two guys, or written by two guys. No, seriously, about the female Lord of the Flies, okay? Yeah. That somebody was in a room Mm -hmm. and they said, you know what we haven't explored in a while is Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Let's make it all women and let's make that shit. There is some movie out there. There's a script for some. There's probably several scripts for movies out there that are great. Yeah. That they're not putting any money towards. Yeah. They look at the last two Lord of the Flies movies that came out, which were not hits in any in any measure. And they say, well, if we add women, this will just be a huge boffo hit. I don't know. And there's, there, I mean, there's got to be how many hundreds of scripts out there right now that they won't put any money towards. And Lord of the Flies doesn't exactly have like some amazing name recognition that, mm. that you're going to get everybody to come out and say, come on. But the author himself has talked about how masculinity is one of the main themes of the book yeah. and how toxic it can be. Right. Without any men... There's very little masculinity on this island. Yep. I now, mean, can you explore women tearing themselves apart in a small society on an island? Sure, you can. Mm-hmm. Should you? Yeah. I don't know. Should you call it Lord of the Flies? Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it sounds like a, it sounds almost already like an exploitation movie. Like it's going to be like a bunch of women in bikinis. Well, and I stuff. saw somebody on Twitter say that that they're making it women so they can put them in skimpy clothes on this island and draw out the teenage boys. There you go. Yep. What the fuck? It's not going to work. Repeat. Sorry, I can already tell you right now, not going to work. <laughs> no. All right, well, that'll do it for this uh, episode of the Zencast. Uh, we're going to, uh, what, bring people to iTunes now, right? Or what are we going to yeah, do? Yeah, okay, so we've got many platforms. I know you guys listen to us on, on lots of different apps and things like that. Um, go to SoundCloud, that's fine, to, to comment for the, the time being. We've got something new and exciting that we're going to add as far as a, an interactive experience that's going to come out soon, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but the most helpful thing that you can do for us is go to iTunes, regardless of, of how you listen to us. Go to iTunes and click subscribe, unless you, if you haven't already. It kind of helps us know uh, who's listening and that kind of thing from episode to episode, so it'd be really helpful. And the most helpful thing... Uh, would be to tell a friend about us, tell a family member about us, Some, tell somebody that's into movies and comedy and cloaca and things like that yeah. that, uh, that they need to be listening to the Sincast. And uh, spread the word, click subscribe on iTunes. It would really help us out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, keep going to SoundCloud, obviously, giving us comments and everything mm-hmm. there. I love the interaction there. And we obviously have a variety of ways. Yep. Email. Um, yeah, yeah. Somebody was uh, complaining about our email the other day, right? You said they were going through. Uh, so our email address is in the show notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just go to to whether it's iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever at the bottom, it'll it'll give our email address there. Cinemasincast at gmail dot com. Uh, go to that. Uh, it's it is a little difficult to find on our web page, so just go through that. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for the this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. What are your summer...
Mm-hmm. It's like that episode of Friends where Chandler knows he makes a bad first impression because he tries to joke. So he goes to an interview and the guy's talking about all his duties. Yes. And Chandler holds it together. But then at the end, the guy's like, you did great. Well, we're going to get along great. And he was like, oh, good. It was really hard with that duty thing. And the guy goes, duty? And he's like, poo? <laughs> Have you guys seen uh, Death Note yet? Nope. No. I actually, I didn't know. You're the anything. only person on the internet that liked it. I guess so. I didn't know anything about it, really. Uh, I kind of aware of of the manga that it was based on, but like, I just watched it as a movie what? because I like Wingard and Simpson did the storyboards. That's and it's a thing, though, right? The, a lot of the negative, a lot of times, comes from the fact that it's not, it's not what they expect from the manga mm-hmm. or whatever. So. Well, because they're all white. Not not all of them are white. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. I mean, Dragon Ball Evolution, like, that movie's not good. Don't get me wrong. It's terrible. But I feel like most people who really hated it, it was more about, oh, it's not like Dragon Ball that I grew up and knew and loved. It's the so, same thing with uh, Avatar. Yeah, well, same thing. Airbender. Yeah, Last Airbender. Same thing. I mean, that movie's awful, too. But <laughs> I mean, it, they're all awful, but the more of the criticism isn't that it's awful. It's that it's, oh, it's just this or that. Yeah. They changed something. Yeah. You know. I'll tell you what, though. Lakeith Stanfield, man. He's awesome. Is he in Death Note? Yeah. He's yeah. he's like the primary yeah, I love detective. That guy. Mm-hmm. He's fucking. And, oh, he's I love that guy, man. What's he he's, from? He's uh, he was Snoop in and straight out of Compton, and he was. Oh. Did you see Get Out? No. He's in Get Out, and he's also in Atlanta. But okay. you may only know him from the Straight Out of Compton because I was watching part of that yesterday. Yeah, he plays Snoop in that. It's a really watchable movie. Yeah, oh, it yeah. is. Every yeah, time it it's is. on, I seem to flip over to <laughs> yeah. it. But like, um, but yeah, he, he's really good as Snoop in that. But he's he's got a lot of varied in in Atlanta. Man, he is. He's so funny in that. Hmm. He's just some some druggy dude who's like really weird and and uh, says some off the wall things and everything. He's just great. But uh, and get out. He's one of the he's one of the first guys that gets abducted in the in the movie. Oh. And then you all know what these motherfuckers you, do out here. Yeah, <laughs> and you saw you you see him in the trailer. He's the guy with the the hat who's at the party and oh. he starts. You know, he has the roll credits moment. Yeah, yeah, he does. But yeah, that's crazy because in in Death Note, like he's this hyperkinetic like genius at solving things, mm-hmm. and like he's always sitting in weird places. He's like mainlining candy and shit like that. He doesn't sleep. It's really really cool. Huh. If you take it, you go in completely unknowledgeable about it. Willem Dafoe's really fun in it. Uh, he's he's the monster that uh, that uh, I don't know does stuff. The girl is really cute. I thought it was fun. Mm. There's a lot of leaps in logic, but mm. uh, I thought it was a, a fun one. Yeah. Just funny. Well, and uh, if I watch it, I will definitely be going in without knowing anything else because I've only heard of Death Note, and I know that people it's one of those anime-type things that people love. But I mean, we saw Ghost in the Shell, the original, mm-hmm. and then it did bother me, the whole Scarlett Johansson thing. Yeah. Like, the, there's millions of eligible actresses that could play that part. And it's not like you have to really emote in that part. It's not like it takes like gravitas. Right. <laughs> like well, she's a fucking robot <laughs> looking for her soul or, or that kind of thing. Like the whole point is to play it as a blank slate, which she did. I I understand why they do it. They want to have a name actor. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily, we want to have a white person in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, 
we want to have a name actor to do this. And I don't know. Ghost in the Shell is a hard sell right off the bat. I don't know how you. I don't know why Scarlett Johansson makes people want to go. And obviously, they it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe they were looking for some of that Lucy magic because Lucy was terrible, but it made more money than people expected. Mm-hmm. There's a shot in there that that looks like it could be from Lucy, like where she's going down the hallway. It's the yeah. John Wick slash Lucy scene where she's breaking out of something. And she's kicking ass because she's got these superhuman abilities, just like fucking Lucy. Yeah. Fucking Lucy. I fucking hate that movie. I know. Yeah. So Dude. aggressively stupid. Angry at that movie. Mm-hmm. Fucking Lupus on, man. Has he dated her? No. 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 Not that we know of. I feel like... Uh, we can't prove that they never dated. Let's make up our own Rule 34, <laughs> like we were talking about before. If, if it exists, there's porn of it. Let's make up one that says... <laughs> that says if they've if they've worked on a movie together, they fucked. Yeah, ah, apparently so, man. I yeah. mean, look at Darren Aronofsky and fucking yeah. uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, Aronofsky ah. does tend to. I don't know. He has a pretty good track record of there was dating. Even, there was even rumors when they were making Black Swan that Natalie Portman's baby was Aronofsky's, <laughs> not yeah. Benjamin Millifax. <laughs> <laughs> now they've stayed together, her and her husband, for so long. You, you, you dismissed those rumors, but there were rumors that they were fooling around during that movie. Um, yeah, so. Apparently, he. I mean, was it? A, was it? Uh, I think it was him and Rachel Vice after the Fountain, and was yeah. there something with Jennifer Connelly? Um, I don't know. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think they probably did ask to ask. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely did that. That was, you know, they they had they had, he he said we have to rehearse the scene. <laughs> look, look, I'll get in there with you. Yeah, exactly. Look, I I'm not afraid. I will. I, I never will, ask my actors to do something I'm not willing to do will, That's right. I will get down and dirty. Give me that dildo. It's that's going right up my ass. <laughs> oh, my God. Mother's got some good reviews so far. Yeah, well, it's funny. as This is a headline I saw last night. I shit you not. <laughs> the first screenings of Mother have happened. Here's what Anthony Bourdain thinks. <laughs> I did see that <laughs> Anthony Bourdain tweet. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> why do I? He said it was awesome. But, you know, why him? Yeah. Why is that the first opinion of this movie that I'm reading? Yeah. No kidding. It's delicious. Here's what Anthony Bourdain thinks. Well, it's like when, uh, what was it, Lone Survivor came out, and there was this big thing of, like, every poster had, it was when The Ringer, not The Ringer, uh, when Grantland was huge, and it was like, uh, the, the quote was the best war movie since Saving Private Ryan, Bill Simmons from Grantland. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, literally, that was, uh, I think I had been to... When did Load Survivor come out? Like thir- 2013? It was in Chicago. I was uh, in O'Hare, and they've got movie posters and all that stuff. Every one of them said, greatest war movie since Saving Private Ryan. And it Wilson. ended up just being kind of okay. Yeah. So we yeah. should we should trust the sports guy for our movie knowledge and the food guy for our stuff. <laughs> yeah, Rachel Weiss and Darren Aronofsky did, ha- did date for a while. Um, did you like The Fountain? Man, no. Um, I know people who love it though, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't seen it since it came out. I'm in between. I don't love it, but it's I think a movie a that I'm gonna there. have to look at again. Uh, I, I I don't know. I just I didn't like it the first time I watched it, but it's also another one of those movies I watch late at night. And that's a that's a bad movie to watch. Yeah, late at it's night. extremely bad movie to watch. It's kind of like a Cloud Atlas type of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so know, different time frame. It kind of does have that that feel, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Um, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I, I know some people who love it. 
I just, I'm not, I haven't gotten to that point yet. Save it for later. <laughs> yes. Was that a Harvey Danger song? Save it for later? Uh-huh. No, that's some 80s song, wasn't Sooner it? or later. Yeah, that's an I think Harvey Danger did a cover of it. Oh, yeah? That's what I'm thinking. Okay, not originally so now, Harvey Danger. Now I'm just going to have to look it up, guys. I'm sorry. Sooner or later. It's like one of those British bands, like XTC or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Simple Minds. The first thing that comes up is Aaron Carter. We know that's wrong. <laughs> um, let's see. Poor Aaron Carter, man. Uh, I heard a, a, an interview on the radio, uh, the local people interviewing Aaron Carter, and he was all about like, man, I'm putting all this, because he came out as, as bisexual, I think, something yeah, like that. Yeah, said he lost his girlfriend because of it. Yeah, and, and they were like, you know, they could tell it, like it was a big get for them and everything, and they were, you know, asking him appropriate questions and that kind of thing, and you know, he was flighty and stuff like that, and he sounded a little bit weird, but he didn't sound like drunk or anything, and then as soon as they hung up, they immediately started making fun of him. Ha! <laughs> And it was like, fuck, man. What the? F- yeah. That's harsh. I mean, you know, you, what do you got? Is this it? Yeah. yeah, this is it. This is English Beat. English Beat? Yep. That's right around the, some kind of British band. English Beat? What was their big hit? Was the that one we just hit? looked up? I think that was the one, wasn't it? I think there was, there was one more that was pretty popular. Uh, see, it came out with like uh, Stop the World... Then melt with you. That was modern English. Mm-hmm. Uh, cuss worn English beat. Oh, they were called the beat, but in North America, the English beat. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Interesting. Hey, reviews are out for Mother. Let's find out what the lead singer of English beat thinks. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you're in I, the UK, the beat. I intrinsically trust whatever the lead singer of English beat tells me. <laughs> it's my go-to, man. That's right. Mirror in the bathroom. Mirror in the bathroom. That's the yeah, song. Yeah. Mirror in the bathroom and 311 did a cover of that. Uh, no, no, Goldfinger. Yeah, Goldfinger did yeah. a, a cover of it. Mm-hmm. They 311 Goldfinger. They all right, they're together. all the same. They're all shitty. She was like, "I'll totally do it." It's like the cherry thing is where Carrie was like, "I'll bet you ten thousand dollars." He's like, "I'll bet you a hundred thousand dollars, and I guarantee you won't do it." <laughs> Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? <laughs> never do anything for me you never do anything for me and all that really matter to you and all that 